Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. A high school principal in Texas has been suspended over accusations that he held, quote, extreme views on race and was pushing critical race theory. This is another example of parents being outraged over what their kids are being taught or told to do. And as I've stated now, probably 50 billion times because we had Bannon on the show and he said he predicted this. We're now seeing more uh, similar things. There's another there's, there's a development in the Loudoun County school protests. More parents are seeking to join a lawsuit over trans pronouns. And that just goes to show with along with mass mandates, critical race theory and critical gender theory. It's something well beyond one thing, right? You hear from conservatives all the time. It's like, oh, critical race theories in school. I'm like, well, that doesn't explain the protests over masks and the similarity between the, you know, the, the, the groups of parents that are for or against these ideas. It's like an overarching culture war or tribalism. So how about we talk about all of this and talk about potential alternatives? And with that, we are being joined by Chloe Valdery. Valdery? Yes, Valdery. I said it wrong. Uh, you want to introduce yourself? Hi, everyone. I'm Chloe. It's good to be here. I run a really dope startup called Theory of Enchantment. We teach an awesome anti-racism practice that is not critical race theory. Um, so that's what I do for a living, and I'm happy to be here. We were having a really awesome conversation about Nazis and World <laughs> War II Germany and New York and authoritarianism that I think would be real. And, and, and I'm just thinking, like, we should just do this on the show. <laughs> yeah. It's a really good conversation. Yeah. You know, and I think this is going to be a fantastic discussion about all of this stuff, liberty, indoctrination, school. So glad to have you. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. Happy to be here. It's still summer. Feels like fall. Especially oh. in this room, in guys. This room yeah, I know. It feels like fall. <laughs> so, Chloe and I are wearing our, our winter jackets. I love it. Yes. Happy to be here. Glad you're here, Chloe. Good to see you. And I'm really hoping now that he's mentioned that, that I survive the evening because I'm not wearing my winter jacket, but I think we're, we're adjusting the oh, temperature. Oh, yeah. I'm, yeah. Really, I'm excited to have like a nuanced conversation about critical race theory, and I really love the idea of having an alternative to that kind of stuff. So I'm stoked for this evening. Awesome. Yeah. I think a lot of like there, there's an interesting thing where they use the phrase anti-racism all the time. Yeah. Typically referring to like CRT ideas or whatever. Yeah. And I think most people in this country don't like racism. So yeah. approaching that, we had we had Papa John on, you know, Papa John's yeah. pizza place. And he kept saying that he was anti-racist. Mm-hmm. But it, it sounds like a direct reference to Ibram Kendi and very specific ideologies. And we're like, how do we navigate that? So yeah. it, it, it'll be fun. We'll, 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 we'll jump in all the stuff. And we'll, we'll talk about all that. But uh, before we get started, my friends, go over to TimCast.com, become a member. And you'll get access to exclusive members-only segments from the TimCast IRL podcast, this one. And uh, you will support our journalists. We just hired another journalist. We're looking to expand. We're also going on a big adventure into some haunted towns starting tomorrow. We're going to be off for Labor Day because trying to work on Labor Day is the most insane thing. We've tried it before. It just doesn't work. <sighs> yeah. No joke. It doesn't work. So, like, last year we're like, no, I'm not taking a day off for Labor Day. And then, like, there's no news. No one's working. Nobody's talking. You're, nobody wants to come on the show. And I'm like, okay, how, we're just going to, we're taking late. <laughs> yeah. Off, you know? good. So, uh, yeah, we'll be going on adventure and we'll be, we'll be having that in the Cast Castle vlog. So thank you for all your support. Don't forget to like this video, subscribe to this channel, share the show with your friends. Let's talk about this first story I found particularly interesting from just the other day. CNN reports this Texas high school principal was put on administrative leave after being accused of promoting critical race theory. 
James Whitfield, principal of Colleyville Heritage High School in Dallas Fort Worth, was placed in the Dallas Fort Worth area, was placed on leave Monday a month after a community member at a school board meeting publicly accused him of having extreme views on race and called for him to be fired. Now, the school, the, the school district says he wasn't removed due to complaints by community members. At a July 26th school board meeting, Stetson Clark, a former school board candidate, said he was concerned about the implementation of critical race theory in our district and named Whitfield as someone with extreme views on race. Because of his extreme views, I asked that a full review of Mr. Whitfield's tenure in our district be examined and that his contract be terminated effective immediately, Clark said at the meeting. Clark said a friend shared a letter that Whitfield sent to parents and students last year, which claims, uh, I'm sorry, which Clark claims showed the principal's principal promotes a conspiracy theory of systemic racism. The controversy at the high school and around Whitfield comes as a number of parents and community members across the state have urged that critical race theory not be taught in schools. So this is interesting. We have a, we have freedom issues and we mm-hmm. have culture war. You know, mm-hmm. you've got a large group of people in this country who want to teach these things to kids. I want to get semantic for a minute. Um, oh, here we go. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Teaching critical race theory. What does that mean? Does that mean that they are teaching it like the philosophy of the critical race theory, like a communism philosophy of communism course where they're teaching this is the philosophy? Or are they are they critically race theory t- teaching <laughs> students about like whiteness no. and things as part of like the math class well is there's it, is it part of the indoctrination of the teachings mm-hmm. that's my question what's the difference yeah this description sounds very he says she says i don't know what to think about this story right and especially when they're even saying the school like he wasn't removed because of the complaints yeah All, but but i to go back to what you said real quick and you can well I'll, you can agree or disagree like sure. i'd love to hear your thoughts on this i think there's actually three different views over what it means to teach critical race theory and depending on the politics of the individual involved and what they're trying to achieve, they'll adhere to one of them. So you have teaching critical race theory, which is the left always jumps on this one and says no one is reading Derek Bell and Kimberly Crenshaw to children. This is not happening. Yeah. Critical race theory is not a book on these schools. No one talked about it. Conservatives aren't making that point. They're making the point more about critical race applied principles which is uh, the next two. There is the implementation of the principles, meaning they take action in the schools that are rooted in critical race theory and mm-hmm. this, this idea of inequities and you know Marxist ideology. So they're actually applying the teachings of critical race theory to the kids and having the kids exist in this environment. And then there's teaching critical race. Uh, there's criti- So that would be critical race praxis, I would, I would say. And then you have the teaching of critical race theory through surreptitious means, whereas... Where, whereas in the math questions, mm. they have injected theories of critical race theories, but it's not a quote, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, assuming that white people are, have, or whiteness is a problem, mm-hmm. how would you get from point A to point B? And you're like, they're <laughs> right. like, inserted as part of the assumption is the, the part so, of the theory. Right. The theory is part of the assumption. The, the, the example actually was this viral video, viral, sorry, photo, mm-hmm. where it showed a picture of like a, a cartoon of a white guy and a black guy. Mm-hmm. And it said, you know, Daryl is a white man who gets stopped by police 17 times every year. You know, Daryl is a black man who gets stopped 236. What percentage, you know, so they do things like that. That's very surreptitious. But that's, that's the third one. That's that, or that's the second one I mentioned where it's like they're just putting these ideas, uh, uh, into play. I consider that praxis also. Is that praxis? It seems like a type of praxis. Mm -hmm. That's where they're like Mm -hmm. teaching the thing, what critical race theory claims, but doing it not through the books. 
Like you don't know you're learning it. And then what I what I mean mm-hmm. about the third way is when they say things like progressive stack and the teachers are like, I want all the kids to say their you know their race and what they feel and things yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. So there's like differences. So that is that is the definition of praxis is no one knows that it's happening. You're sneaking it in under the radar. You're not standing in front of the class and reading Derek Bell and Krim, Kim, Krimberly Crenshaw. Krimberly. Krimberly, yeah. But yeah. It just means theory and practice. Yeah, it's applied. It's yeah. exactly what we call it. Critical race applied principles. That's praxis. And how uh, common do you think the praxis is as opposed to the the other... How would you describe the other one where like uh, – so there there are stories where the teacher will say, okay – or there's one viral right now where it's like they she, – she put the, uh, the skin color tabs on a chart. Okay. And then like had the kids line sort of up by – So that's like – I guess they're very similar in a certain way, but that's overt, right? Yeah, that's yeah, when yeah. like, hey, we're going to take all the kids and line them up by race, whereas the secondary one is like the math question implies – some that some critical race is real, but they don't. It's surreptitious. So there's like, yeah. I guess it's the subliminal and the superliminal, you know, yelling yeah. in their face. Mm. When it comes to teaching the theory, I don't think it happens that much yet. Like it, yeah. a nice tenth grade course on the philosophy of critical race theory, where you learn about from 1911 or 1920 when this began. Yeah, you know, and all the things James Lindsay talks about with like the history of the theory. That'd be cool if they knew they were learning it and they were interested in studying it yeah. as opposed to just being told, like, whiteness is a thing and yeah, yeah, when, you're, yeah. when you're seven, you know? Yeah. I don't know the numbers, though. The The classrooms don't have cameras in them. It's mm-hmm. kind of disturbing that it's <laughs> happening in secret. It is kind of crazy to imagine there'd be cameras in classrooms and all the kids are being watched all or whatever. But body cams on cops, that you brings know? Another, right. That brings up another complication. So then we would have another uh, freedom, liberty complication. Mm-hmm. Well, so, so what are your thoughts on this, you know, uh, well, I don't know about this case specifically because it seems very vague. Let's talk in terms of like, you know, generalities. Okay. Should teachers Give me a generality. Should teachers who implement critical critical race theory or engage in the praxis, should they be fired? Well, it's interesting because if a, if an institution is being inconsistent, meaning if an institution has decided to bring upon a policy where they're teaching this to their staff and they're saying you know, uh, this is this is what is in vogue now, and this is what we're doing. And then, let's say, a new culture cycle occurs, and people rail against it. And from there, teachers who are already in, in that institution, who are, say, let's say, inculcated in critical race theory, uh, continue to teach it. It's a bit inconsistent for an institution to sort of switch gears. Um, so I, I think it's, obviously this probably didn't happen in Texas uh, with this particular teacher because schools in Texas I imagine aren't teaching critical race theory so I don't know about this particular case but for other schools in other states it might be I think it might be wrong to place the burden upon the teacher if the institution brought this to itself in the first place and then switched gears. But isn't that, is, isn't there a deeper problem, I guess, if parents hate this stuff? If you have, yeah. like, the, the <laughs> average person saying, we don't want this for our kids, yeah. how is it that a school comes to be teaching this? Well, that's another, that's a larger issue. The institution not actually being in community with its parents and really not even caring about what parents have to say and the input of the parents. Um, and I think that probably goes beyond critical race theory, but, and it's probably been, been an issue for a long time. Um, so you're, you you have a startup that teaches anti-racism? Yeah. But define your anti-racism because it's not the same as like Ibram Kendi's, right? No. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. So Ibram Kennedy defines uh, racism as basically the presence of inequity. So he defines inequity as material outcomes between groups. So if there's a difference in outcomes uh, between different races, then that's proof of racial mm-hmm. inequity and that's proof of racism. Whereas our understanding of racism is psychological. We understand that racism or supremacist ways of thinking occur when an individual or group of people experience some kind of insecurity and then project that insecurity onto others in order to feel worthy. And our our approach teaches people how to practice dealing with themselves in a holistic, healthy way so that they will be less likely to overcompensate. Interesting. So what do you, what do you, so, uh, what do you think about critical race theory? I know you're not a big fan. What, I mean, I really don't think about critical race theory. I have to be honest with you. Um, and there are probably many different reasons for that. Uh, you know, as I said, I've said this before the show, but I try not to be counter-dependent in my identity because that's also a form of dependence. People tend to think that codependence is the only form of dependence, but actually counter-dependence is also a form. So counter-dependence is when your identity is dependent upon countering someone else Mm. or something else. I, you know, I'm not a fan of critical race theory because I'm not a fan of postmodernism. I think that there's no transcendence at the heart of postmodernism. I think that postmodernism has a point in that it um, critiques dominant uh, structures in society, which are susceptible to corruption just just by nature of being. Um, but the problem is that it becomes parasitic and begins to eat itself. And so there's no actual transcendence at the heart of it. So I'm critical of critical theory in general. Um, but I don't really think about critical race theory uh, because I'm just trying to get our anti-racism program out there. If you avoid counter-dependence, how, why do you say you're anti-racist? This is a great question. I love this question. Because we define racism not as a, another person or as an uh, analysis of outcome, but as a state of being. Uh, racism is a defect in uh, relational ways of being you're not relating to yourself properly and you're not relating to others properly and so to be able to counter that presupposes adopting a set of practices a kind of lifestyle um, and i think in that sense it's less parasitic because at the heart of it what you're trying to reach is transcendence hmm. do you like meditation and stuff yeah oh cool yeah. well how, how would you define racism then um, again, for me, racism is a kind of relational defect, um, and it happens when a person is not in the right relationship with themselves, so they're feeling a lack of self-worth or contempt or 
Um, but so, like, how, how does that present itself in, in society, for instance, right? So, just, yeah. just to clarify, you have, you know, Ibram Kendi's view about unequal outcomes. Yeah. You have the dictionary definition of prejudice or discrimination, positively or negative, on the basis of race. Yeah. I would say that we're more of that of that uh, latter definition, but we're also more interested in psychological underpinnings of what causes that prejudice, what drives that prejudice in the first place. And where's that prejudice coming from? Uh, from a, again, a deep psychological perspective. So, like, if a guy was walking down the street in LA and, and kicked a, a a piece of the sidewalk that was up and busted his toe, and was like, yeah. "Ah, who's supposed to fix these sidewalks?" and looks, and it's like, "I bet it was this race of people." And looks, and those <laughs> workers in the city tend to be percentagely mostly a yeah. certain race. Yeah. And then they're like, "I knew it. It's that race." Like, yeah. What's that the person psych- is not well with himself. And then you'd have to go deep into their individual psychology. It's like, what happened to you when you were a kid? Yeah. Why are you blaming people for kicking? Yeah. What's, like, go- what's going on here? There's mm-hmm. something going on. There's something else going on here. But so, so here's my issue, right? With yeah. the reason why I do, you know, think critical race theory is bad, or I, I should say, critical race. I mean, I also th- think it's bad. By the way, I'm just not. The reason I do focus on you it know. is because I think it's overt racism. Yeah, well, but again, that's that's what we ultimately, that's the beauty of it. That's what we ultimately tackle because it doesn't matter whether you're black or white. You could be feeling some kind of weird self worth issues and project, and they can it can manifest in different ways. But that's ultimately what's at the heart of it. So in a way, we're kind of addressing critical race theory. I love that. That is, yeah, yeah, because when you think about these young people and their animosity and the things they, they they project. You know, it's rooted in this misunderstanding of what race is and then a projected anger towards a certain race. So when I, when I, when I look at like critical race theory and applied principles, I think they're, they're overtly racist. They want, they, they certainly against Asian people who are a small minority in this country, but Mm -hmm. yes, also against white people. Mm -hmm. They, they blame someone else. But many of, many passionate critical race theorists are white. So what do you think is going on with that? Well, uh, I think it's, it's a lot of these people, it's tribal. Mm. So, uh, Ibram Kendi, for instance. Yeah. He's, he, his, his belief is basically that if there's a law or policy that creates an, an, equ- an, e- an equal outcome based on race, it's a racist, systemically racist right. policy. Yet, when it comes to New York's vaccine mandates, which disproportionately impact black people in New York, he's mm-hmm. nowhere to be found. Yeah. Because his whole thing is actually more, you know, I'll put it this way. I would, I would, I would say, I think he believes a lot of what he says. Yeah. But I think, I think he's, I think so too. I think he's sitting there going, yeah, but I'm not going to challenge this one instance where it's happening because the people who pay me also like that too. I, I don't know, but I'm, but I'm, what I'm wondering is, I get all that, but you just said critical race theorists are tribal and they're like anti-white people, but a lot of the people who buy into this are white. So sure, like, sure. I wh- mean, yeah. so what's, what's going on there? They're tribalistically espousing an ideology regardless of their own race. They're trying, and, and in fact, they say things like, as a white person, I recognize these things because they care more about what their tribe says than about who they are, what they experience, and what the actual problems so are. So what is their tribe? Who is their tribe? Who belongs to their tribe? There's, so in the, in the culture war, it's very strange, but there is very overarching tribe, you know, tribal factions. Yeah. There's the left and the right, but that doesn't actually get to the heart of what the factions are. Mm-hmm. So Bill Maher is considered to be kind of in the left, but he's kind of in the middle of the culture war because he's very mm-hmm. anti-woke. Yeah. He's very critical of, of, of the booster shots, mm-hmm. but he despises Trump. Yeah. And so he's kind of in the middle. On the right, you actually have liberals, people who are economically left. Sure. It's, it's, it's so per- it's all scrambled. Yes, but it may actually just be authoritarian versus libertarian in a large way, not complete, okay. not not completely. 
Because you certainly have people on the right who are authoritarian, who are, you know, yeah. d- defying critical <laughs> race theory. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's like a big component of it is uh, uh, authoritarian versus libertarian. Okay. It may have a lot to do with individualist versus collectivist, but again, not absolute because there are elements of the fringe far right, ultra, you know, uh, nationalist. They're, co- they're, you know, collectivist in a certain to a certain degree. Okay. So it's it's. It really is hard to to figure it out, but I would say it's kind of like yin yang. You know what I mean? Mm. It's not like there's two equal spaces that are opposing each other. It's like they actually swirl around and mm. have you know similarities and differences. When okay. I when I look at uh, like Kendi and I look at um, Robin DiAngelo, but, yeah. but also just the Democratic Party, there's something that's very you know very obvious in that there is a substantive lack of principle, substantial lack of principles. And you know, to I'll, I'll shout out Texas for instance. Uh, for instance, they did the 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 uh, heartbeat bill. Okay. And all of a sudden, we have people screaming, "My body, my choice." Okay. Yet once again, I'll throw it back to New York. I'm like, "Yo, what about them va- mandating vaccines?" Because I'm pro-choice. Mm-hmm. You know, even though I don't like abortion, I think it's bad, and I agree with a lot of conservatives on their on their suppositions. Mm-hmm. The the problem is the government intervening for medical reasons, and it's mm-hmm. like a very scary. I, I getting into nuance is difficult, but I look at Texas and I'm like. Yeah, I, I, I understand the exemptions. I don't like having to go to the government for a medical, you know, something that has to do with a very serious, embarrassing, humiliating, or troubling medical procedure. I'm going to say the same thing about New York City. Mm-hmm. But all of a sudden now I see this establishment and this, like, left faction in the culture war has no interest in defending bodily autonomy mm-hmm. or racist policy, which is the vac- vaccine mandate in New York City. Mm. So when it comes to so throw it back to what we were talking about, yeah. the overwhelming amount of white people who are anti-white. I think it's mostly because they don't care about the ideas. Okay. If they did, they my body, my choice would mean vax mandates too. What they care about is just being part of a collective that vies for power. It kind of it, it makes me think of self-flagellation, like a religious. Because okay. we kind of talk about a metaphor like this is sort of religion. There's this lack of religion in society, so we've kind of yeah. some people have adopted a new faith, and yeah. people would beat themselves on the back with uh, with whips and stuff as part of like the self-flagellation. Like I'm suffering, I'm so horrible, original sin, I'm a sinner. Punish, I must punish myself so that I'm not punished in hell or whatever. Yeah. And I think these people kind of have that same like self-punishment mindset. I don't know if this self-flagellation is just part of the human psyche that mm-hmm. needs to be. I think there's you know, agitated from time to time or something. I think there's a few different definitely, things. Definitely, it's like working out, you know. A few different mm-hmm. things happening here. Some of these people, the less prominent, you know, white uh, people who are anti-white, probably don't actually care, but they're scared. Okay. They, they want to fit in. There are several prominent activists who were always on the left, but the left as of today is fundamentally different from the left of ten years ago. Okay. So uh, my my favorite shout out is to Rap News by Juice Media. Hmm. They had a video ten years ago. If it was in t- end of twenty ten. Where oh man, it's almost eleven years ago now. Where they say you know Hillary Clinton is is bad. Mm-hmm. Alex Jones is calling out the commie Nazi fascists, mm-hmm. the 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 uh, you know the the Democrats and the Republicans, the the establishment are trying to turn back the clock on freedom of speech and all that stuff. And I'm like, wow, if you were to make that today, you'd be a Trump supporter. If you yeah. said Hillary Clinton is bad and we need free speech, Julian Assange is good, and Alex Jones is speaking the truth, that was ten years ago. That was the left. Yeah. So there's been this very serious shift. A lot of people all of a sudden are just like Jay Leno said it the other day. You know, Jay Leno, a story came out. Jay Leno said, "Either you you get in line with the woke or die." Mm-hmm. So the, the, that's. Do you that, think that's true? No, absolutely not. Okay. I mean, if you want to be Jay Leno and be on TV, yes, right. We're we're lucky enough that there exists an economic space where this show can function. But if the internet didn't exist. Mm-hmm. These conversations would be happening in secret. But if the internet didn't exist, 
would any of this be ha- would any of this be happening? Probably not. So right. It's a double-edged sword. Mm. But but to be fair, something else would be happening, right? You know, before well, yeah. war, for instance, <laughs> you know, Iraq war, yeah. the lies in the media. So it's factions yeah, we, emerge we out we of the chaos. We narrowly avoided 1984 because we had the internet. <laughs> the whole, like, a never-ending war over sea where it's a different enemy, and then now you're fighting a different enemy one day, and all of a sudden, 20 years later, they're like, and now we've always been at war with your... Eastern, you know, did you ever read 1984? Yeah. And so we, that would have been Afghanistan and Iraq, but since we had the internet, we saw it all. Oh. We were like, nope. Just, just to mention, so the, the first group, I think, are people who are scared. Okay. I shouldn't say the first group, but there's a group of people who are scared and they'll just be like, whatever you say, leave me out of it. Mm-hmm. Then you have true believers who are just white people who are like, wow, I can't believe this is what, mm-hmm. you know, has really happened and I'm woke. I've awakened to the world. Then you have grifters. I, okay. I, I genuinely think Robin D'Angelo is a grifter. Like, okay. I, I think you she, don't think she believes what she's writing? Absolutely not. Okay, why do you why don't you think she believes it? I think fundamentally, uh, her ideologies, at least the way she espouses it, is absolutely contradictory. If so, if you are a white person who believes white people should step back, but plenty of people believe contradictory things. Yeah, I know. Yeah, genuinely. And so that's a cognitive dissonance where I challenge. I will challenge someone's. Uh, uh, you know whether they actually believe something, and boy, do people go nuts when they when they realize it. One example of. The difference between me and someone like that is yeah. I had been saying for a while that, look, I think if a business wants to mandate vaccines, depending on the scale of that business, I think it's actually fine because I don't want to impose my will on a mom and pop shop where it's like an older guy and he's like, look, I'm hiring two or three people. I want them to be vaccinated. I'm like, I don't want to infringe on the rights of just some regular working class dude. Yeah. Then a week later, I said, it is the people of New York who are upholding the edict making this happen. If the regular people said no to the mandates... All of this would stop. And then I said, well, certainly both of those ideas can't be true. So perhaps it's wrong for businesses to mandate their employees get the vaccine. Okay. As opposed to what we see with the you know, my body, my choice people where they completely just say, F you, I'm not going to argue about New York. It doesn't exist to me. Or they won't even bring it yeah, up. Yeah, but I don't think that makes a person a grifter. Not to be semantical. I just, I, that doesn't make you a grifter. I, I suppose, mean, I suppose I can then say about D'Angelo is that based on what I've heard from her and seen from her, yeah. I just believe she's lying. Okay. Like, I do not feel that what she says is genuine. I have no idea. So, fair enough. Yeah, I mean, it's all uh, trying to read people, I guess. Yeah. And... I think she had a hard hard childhood. Mm. Yeah. And I think that plays a huge role. Elaborate. Well, I read in passing somewhere that she, her father wasn't in the picture, abandoned the family. She grew up in going from, like, moving constantly. And also her mother was sort of incompetent. And she dealt with issues of abandonment and identity issues at a very young age. And I am like, I have almost no doubt that that is playing a huge role in in all of this. Mm. So it's possible she's just not that smart. Or and or it's possible that she is spiritually suffering and this is how it's manifesting. High intelligence, but with a lot of pain. That's a very dangerous recipe, too. I don't think she displays Anakin high Skywalker. intelligence. <laughs> <laughs> well, so how do you how do you deal with then? You know, how do you, well, you have very prominent people, very wealthy people in big institutions that are implementing these, these ideas at an ever escalating rate of, you know, well, you, I think, I think one of the ways you deal with it is you, you guard yourself as much as possible from, from falling prey to some of the, uh, shortcomings and, um, I guess, uh, blind spots and but you don't do that simply by propositional 
exposition of facts, who's right, who's wrong, but you actually do it by recognizing the complexity of the human condition, your capacity to fall prey to that, your capacity to uh, become susceptible to that way of thinking, and the pr- and giving yourself the practices required to not fall prey to it, because it's so easy to fall prey to it in a in a in a way. What are some of those practices? Meditation, for sure. Shadow work from like Carl Jung's philosophy. What's that? Shadow work is when you you recognize what's triggering your ego. Usually, our egos are triggered by other people when they're doing something that we don't like. That and that thing is present within us. Now, there's a difference between saying to a person, "Your behavior is reckless. Your behavior is problematic," and saying to that same person who engaged in that reckless behavior that you're trash. Those are two very different things. Once you start engaging in the latter kind of vocabulary, you set yourself up on a pedestal and you set yourself up as better than that person, as if that behavior is foreign to you, as if you're not capable of, of engaging in that same behavior. And you've actually started down the path of supremacist ways of thinking in the literal sense. You think that you're supreme. You think that you're superior to that person. So you do shadow work by, you can do it in, a, in many ways, but one of the ways you can do it is Noticing when your ego is triggered and recognizing how the behavior that someone else engaged in or the impulse that someone else is operating out of is also existing within you. And you'll see that same behavior the next time. You'll still say it's reckless and problematic, but your ego won't be triggered by it. So you'll be less likely to other that person when you critique that person. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. Eighteen plus. And then I would imagine your criticism will be more likely to be taken by them. Exactly. They'll be able to receive it, more likely to receive it. There's no guarantee to anything, but there's there will be more likely to receive it. Sounds like we just need to replace CRT with philosophy in these schools. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Self-reflection. Yeah. I mean, is, is I mean so that's important. that's our motto. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, instead, I, th- I think what we end up getting is too many people in the United States don't want to be involved in any of this. Yes. Fighting is hard. It's taxing. And I think you can look to the animal kingdom. Fighting is never the first choice. Mm-hmm. So uh, here's something here's something interesting. The the like the aggression of an animal can be determined on where it lives mm-hmm. or where it operates. So uh, burrowing animals, for instance, mm-hmm. when they're enca- when you encounter them in a burrow, they will fight you. They're aggressive. Mm-hmm. They have one dimension to move in. They I, so there's no escaping. Mm-hmm. Birds don't attack you because birds can just leave, and mm-hmm. leaving is way easier. So what ends up happening for regular people is that. There are vested interests in spreading CRT and its its ideology. There's money to be made for sure. Mm-hmm. There are true believers. There are people who are scared and just going along with it, thinking they'll fit in. Mm-hmm. 
And then corporations say, look, this is what's on social media. We think this plays well. Mm-hmm. I don't, you know, we don't want to rock the boat. And then it creates this social pressure mm-hmm. where over time people are just like, I don't want a fight. So they give in to the most aggressive ideology. Mm-hmm. And that leads us down a very, very dark and authoritarian path. But then that thing actually blows up in their faces and then they come call us. No, but I mean, in many ca- in many it, cases, they've bra- they've brought in CRT into the staff, into the training of their people. It wreaks havoc in the workplace. Do you, and then they have to start all over again. Do you have any specific examples, like a story? You don't got to name the companies or anything like that, but you want to like give us an example. Um, of I mean, I can just tell you in general, we do we do demo interviews with companies all the time, and they report back to us. It's a very like simple script that they report back to us and it's repeated all the time. We brought in this very typical approach to diversity and inclusion training Mm -hmm. and it did not go over well. And now we are trying to figure out what to do and we heard you on some podcasts. But like how does that is the life cycle in many cases. Just like what happened specifically like like people were self-segregated the diversity consultant told them to segregate themselves based upon race a lot of people don't like that. (laughs) Oh Oh, yeah that's standard that's standard. The consultant tells them or just assumes the lived experiences of all these people based upon skin color. Mm. A lot of people black and white don't like that. So I wouldn't underestimate the amount of rumblings that may be happening in these companies even though they're not necessarily you're not necessarily seeing that on twitter but it's definitely happening that makes me laugh and it kind of makes me happy yeah the like to to hear that the things that we see as bad for the reasons we see it as bad are being reported back to you as that they are bad and they don't work yes and it's like it's like vindicating yeah but it's also cool that you guys can come in and, and kind of fix that yeah try to so what would you what advice would you have like how do you work with a company that contacts you we uh, So we have online courses, but we also have workshops. Ultimately, we are a startup, and we're trying to get to the place where we can create a suite of practices for organizations. So, you know, a, a one-time workshop, and our workshops are pretty dope, I have to say. But it's like <laughs> a full-day workshop, and that doesn't translate into sustainable practice. It's just not the nature of a workshop. So what we want to ultimately do is get our stuff into as of training uh, into the learning management systems of corporations so that when they're onboarding their employees, they can use our practices, um, eventually be able to uh, service them with some of our coaches who can check in to make sure they're doing those self-awareness practices throughout the months, weeks, quarters, etc. Um, so ultimately, we want people to start practicing. I mean, the, the, the emphasis is on the practice. I had a conversation recently uh with someone who was talking about policy and they were like we wrote a statement because this is also very popular as i'm sure you know like let's make a statement about how we are super anti-racist and mm-hmm. we and i'm like that's not a policy that's a statement <laughs> a policy is a set of practices that an institution operates according to so we can have a long-term conversation about what those practices should look like again with the with the objective of affording that sense of self-awareness, um, not overcompensating for your insecurities, creating a, a culture of belonging. We can actually talk about how to create those practices, but what you have, this is not a policy. It's just a statement. I, re- I remember that famous George Carlin sketch where he just goes on stage and says every single racial slur you can think of, mm-hmm. and then he actually calls Eddie Murphy and Richard Pryor the N-word, mm. which like... Before even, my time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it was like early 90s. How old are you? I'm 28. Oh, okay, so yeah. maybe... 
I was probably too young to watch. Maybe. One or two years old. <laughs> but yeah. it, it might have been like '94. Uh, so I was you, one years old. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but uh, uh, you know, even even when I see that, I'm like, wow! I can't believe he would even jokingly say that about these guys. Yeah. But everyone in the crowd laughs. Yeah. There was no big controversy over him doing it because the point he was making when he said it was that you need to understand the person behind the words because the words themselves don't affect you, sticks and stones, etc. Mm-hmm. So I I I ended up because I wonder in a lot of these corporate settings, someone might say an off-color joke, you know, without the intent to actually demean someone. Yeah. But then someone might get offended by it triggering these sessions. Yeah. So I'm wondering. Well, I don't I don't think that's what's triggering primarily. You don't think so? No. Like, we've heard stories about people who are like, oh, I said a joke at work, and now they're making me go to, like, a diversity training. I think that's a lot. I think that, like, companies are conservative, and they're like, oh, we don't want you to sue us. So that's why they're doing yes. that. I don't think it's, like, driven by any real thing. No, I, I completely agree with you. I just, I just mean, like, uh-oh, someone said a naughty word. We might get sued. Quick, put them in a diversity training mm. to protect ourselves. Yeah, but I don't think I agree, but unfortunately or fortunately, whatever, the end of critical race theory doesn't solve for that problem because the, the institutions will always be like that. Right. Not, not, not the, to mention CRT segregates people, which I think makes that worse. Yeah. Well, it does make it worse. Yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> cool, uh, little fact. Objectively. George Carlin did that seven words you can never say on TV in 1972. Also, I definitely oh. was not yeah. born. No, 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 <laughs> On Class Clowns. I'm not, I'm not talking about That's seven That's the words. first album. Oh, you're talking about something different. I'm talking about in the early 90s, George Carlin has a routine where he says, ev- he says like well, th- a hundred racial slurs. He repeated this act over and over through the years and it, I think he, no, no, he no, developed no. it. The, the bit he did on racism was, the word doesn't matter. It's the racist a-hole behind the word you got to watch out for. Because he's like, I can say, and then he says, you might be a, and then he just starts saying racial slaughter. Just like, that might be dirty hey. words. He's done a bunch of this kind of stuff. It's over not the, the years, seven words know. you can't say. It is a bit from the oh. early 90s. And then he ends by calling Richard Pryor and Eddie Murphy the N-word. Oh. And I'm like, wow. Like, but okay. so I, I bring this up too because I'm, I'm, I'm just curious as to the way uh, I'm, I, I have people who make Asian jokes mm-hmm. you know, at me throughout my whole life. Mm-hmm. And I think they're hilarious. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because I know my friends are just like ribbing on me or, uh, the, you know, they're just making fun of the stereotypes and the absurdity. And it doesn't affect me because I'm secure in who I am. And I'm just mm-hmm. like, oh, that's a funny, funny thing. Like, if there's a stereotype about Asian people and then I end up doing something and then people point that out, I'll be like, ah, oh, jeez, you know, it's like, it's fun. <laughs> yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I'm only a quarter Korean, uh, part Japanese and Korean. But uh, I'm curious as to like, what would your approach be in c- circumstances where someone might be like, Someone made a racist joke. I'm upset about it. I don't know. <laughs> Honestly, that's my honest question. It really depends on the context and situational details. Um, I do think it's interesting that they just took down the first episode of The Office, mm-hmm. which is... It was the first what, episode? I think so. No. Fact check me on that. Okay. Uh, it's in the old ones, yeah. Yeah, which I saw coming. Yeah. I saw it coming. It, and it was... I, sure. I, I Unfortunately, no one asked for this, but... Um, here we are. Here we are. Mm-hmm. So yeah. is it the first one? I, I'm I'm not pulling up Snopes on this. No way. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So here we have it from Metro. Office the uh, the Office U.S. fans furious as Comedy Central removes Diversity Third. Day episode from schedule. Are you a big fan of The Office? Yeah, especially that <laughs> episode. Especially that episode. That is one of the most brilliant episodes of The Office. So they say Diversity Day is the second installment of the first season, second installment uh, of The Office U.S. and follows Michael. 
as he forces the staff at Dunder Mifflin to undergo a racial diversity seminar. A consultant, Larry Wilmore, arrives to teach staff about tolerance and diversity, but Michael insists on imparting his own knowledge, aggravating both the consultant and the entire office staff, oh and creates his so own rude. diversity <laughs> seminar. He eventually assigns each staff member an index card with a different race on it, causing tempers to slowly simmer until they finally snap. So what do they say? Comedy Central is removing diversity episode from the rotation is so corporate and stupid. Why Why was it removed, though? They said they, they say it was taken down. They don't really explain exactly why it was taken down or was there an official statement or anything. Hmm. Just this video unavailable. Wow. <laughs> do, yes. do, did, you, did you hear, like, why it was removed or no. what the reason was? They say from time to time they'll, they'll not play certain episodes in rotation from time to time. I mean, I... Don't take a brain surgeon to figure out why this is. <laughs> Listen, maybe, maybe there's something we don't know. We can give them the benefit of the doubt, but I, I suspect it is yeah. the reason that we think it is. <laughs> that is a funny episode. It's, it's such it's a like great cringe. episode. It's because <laughs> no, no, it's tough to say because like when it comes to comedy, if you're making someone the butt of the joke, that in general is kind of kind of hard for me to swallow. I get I get kind of like. Why would you hurt that but Michael person Scott, to get a laugh? That's the po- Michael Scott is a ridiculous human being. That's right. the whole point. <laughs> you see an idiot making mistakes. Yeah. That's the point of that show. And you are, you also learn to love you 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 learn to to fall in love with that idiot. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's the whole point. If you take See, this is why I ultimately think so so much that's happening with regards to critical race theory. Uh, broadly speaking is going to lead to the death, not well, hopefully not the death, but a suppression of art and the arts and absolutely we at theory of enchantment use the arts to teach everything so like if you if you enroll in our online course we use uh philosophy and music and poetry and film to actually teach people our three main principles because we know that the purpose of the arts is to remind people of the complexity of the human experience as opposed to in my opinion politics these days which Mm. reduces and stereotypes and caricatures human beings to one label or the other the entire purpose of the arts is to be expansive and so i'm not surprised if in fact this is the reason why that happened with the office I'm not surprised because that is the inevitable, that's the logical conclusion. And what's ultimately ironic about this is that that means that a lot of things that are coming out of critical race theory or critical race theory light or whatever you want to call it are ultimately antithetical to the African-American ethos. And that is one of the greatest scandals that no one is talking about What do you mean the African-American ethos? What is that? Like... So there's a great author, Albert Murray, who wrote this book, The Omni-Americans, or Alternatives to the Folklore of White Supremacy. He wrote it in like the 70s or something like that. He was this really dope jazz critic. And he talked about how within African-American culture, there is what he calls an, a kind of idiomatic expression, which he defines as impromptu heroism culture. Another synonym of this is the hero's journey so if you're familiar with like joseph campbell or carl young and and that sort of thing and he talks about how in jazz as an art form and in the blues there's this philosophy that affords musicians the ability not only to literally play with the music but metaphorically play with anything that life brings them both the both the negative potential and the positive potential and that is a part of the artistic art form that is central to African American culture. And so once you start, once you start going down the path of the death of metaphor, the death of context, 
And all of these things, you're talking about the death of art and you're talking about something, the death of something very central to African-American life. This, I love they're, this they're, about jazz is because you'll start on a note, you're in a key, and you'll hit all the wrong notes that aren't in the right key. Yeah. And then you'll, you'll end on the right note yeah. in the key. And that's like the hero's journey, all the mistakes along the way. And then you're... Which you're, are necessary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which are necessary. There's this uh, recording I was listening to recently of Norm MacDonald. <clears throat> okay. He was on a radio show apparently with like a woke pod, like producer or radio host. Or maybe she's just one of those people who's like, I'm just going to say what I'm supposed to say because I'm on the radio yeah, yeah, and I'm yeah. canceled. And Norm MacDonald, have you ever listened to this guy? I don't think so. I mean, I know of him, but I don't, he, I don't think I've heard him. Definitely he's genius. got this yeah. thing one of the where greats. he talks in a very like slow and blunt way, and that's how he drives <laughs> his comedy. So he's talking to her and he goes, you two might get mad at me, but I'm quoting Norm MacDonald. <laughs> oh, boy. And this oh, no. Is this one of these? No, no, no. no. Okay. He, says, he says, black people are poorer than white people. And poor people are dangerous. And he was just, qu- he was quoting information, right? That he yeah, that's what he says. And then the host goes, no, oh, whoa, whoa, you, you can't say that. No, no. And he was like, what do you mean? And she's like, you, you can't say that about black people. And he goes, you think black people are richer than white people? <laughs> she's like, no, no, I'm not saying that. And he goes, poor people commit crimes. That's what they keep saying, isn't it? He's like, I don't think, I think systemic racism is a real thing. And that means you, and, and so the way he said it. Yeah shocked and offended people they started getting calls and people were calling in like you can't say that you know i went to school with two black people and they were they were way richer than i was and then he goes yeah and a guy in a wheelchair could probably be faster than me but if i said i'm typically faster than people in wheelchairs i'd be telling you the truth yeah and so it was really what i found really fascinating about what he said when he said that is we often hear from the critical race theorists things like um, systemic racism is a real problem, which creates generational wealth gaps, mm-hmm. which results in a disproportionate amount of black people being impoverished relative to white people. Mm-hmm. However, there are more white people who are impoverished. Then they say poverty breeds crime. Mm-hmm. And th- actually, I'm, my understanding is it's all true, right? Mm. Your Crime isn't based on race. It's based on poverty levels. Circumstances. Mm-hmm. But when Norm MacDonald just says it that way, yeah. it actually made them argue against him because the way he said it was so blunt, it came off as kind of offensive or racist. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah I, I don't know. I, I, I was curious about it when uh, you, you had mentioned something before Before I got the jazz thing came and kind of threw me off track. But That's what jazz so, does. That's right. That's right. right. That's You'll right. be back, That's though. The but just, just <laughs> jazz does that, too. In, in talking about, like, um, you, the, you were making a comment about diversity trainings and, like, critical race theory, and it's, like, removing... You art, know. the art, mm. fundamentally. That is my biggest issue I, I, with it. I guess the reason I wanted to bring this Norm MacDonald thing is that I think it shows the – there's something about the way you say things. Mm-hmm. It's less to do with what the idea is for a lot of these people who are claiming to be, like, mm-hmm. anti-racist or whatever. Mm-hmm. That the way Norm MacDonald could come out and say this but then, offended people. So you think if he would have said it differently, it wouldn't have offended people? Absolutely. I think if Norm MacDonald said – you know, one of the challenges we face is systemic racism, mm-hmm. which has resulted in a disproportionate amount of the black community being impoverished. Mm-hmm. And then you find that racists blame them when the poverty leads to crime. Mm-hmm. And people say, oh, yes, I, I agree with that. That's very, yeah. very intelligent. <laughs> but when Norm MacDonald, the regular guy, is like, yeah. says what he said, they're like, whoa, whoa, you can't say that. And all of a sudden, like, their own idea brought back to them, like, in, from a mirror of a right. regular guy is all of a sudden now offensive. But in a different form. And just is a, he t- uh, intentionally offensive? Does he aim? Does he try oh, to yeah. offend people? Oh, well, yeah. yes, but in this capacity, I think it's just who he is. Okay, it's like he's he's the kind of guy who's just going to whittle it down very basically. And then he had he was kind of shocked that they were like, 
you can't say that. No, he was like, what do you mean? He's yeah. like, the, the, we say it all the time. Like, what? Yeah, that's, that's interesting. That's art. I mean, they say often, I've heard, that people, when they think back, they remember how you made them feel. They don't necessarily yeah. remember exactly, what you said. Exactly. Yeah. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. There's, a, there's another George Carlin bit where he talks about the changing of language. He says, he, he said, we used to, we used to say shell shock. That when people go to war, they would come back with Wait, shell Wait, I think shock. I remember this. I think it's I've amazing. seen this one. <laughs> and then he's like, now we say post-traumatic stress disorder. Like we can, and that's interesting because the the way you say something could be offensive to someone regardless of the idea you're trying to convey. For sure. It also depends on the, upon that person's state of mind, which is why it's complicated to so, put to put all the onus on the person who is presumably giving offense. It could be that a person is actually empty inside and so because they're empty inside they will take everything to offense because they have a low self-esteem i think we see that very uh, uh prominently among the woke mm-hmm. the the establishment left they're i think mm-hmm. they're very insecure okay and that's why they tend to be more collectivist and that's why they tend to be more more like do you think more insecure people are collectivists What's yes. the relationship between collectivism and insecurity? Finding validation from someone else instead of themselves. Well, but let me ask you this question. Don't you think there's a hyper-individualistic problem within America? And Or do you think that? So I'm trying to see what the balance is between hi- like hyper-atomization of the individual and uh, the, collectivism. So I would say... Um, there, there, there probably, there, I think there is a problem with individualism in the United States. Yeah. And it, and it, it, it forms itself in that nobody's willing to stand up for a common set of values. They're like, look, I can't lose my job. I'm not going to speak up. And that results in, you know, kind of chaos. It, you, okay. You, if you, if you have, you know, an element of what we refer to as the left and the culture war that are absolutely willing to just say whatever the tribe says, even if the, the you know, the, the change of the wind or whatever. Like yeah. one day they're making fun of Asian people. The next they said, stop Asian hate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they started canceling their own activists because a year ago it was okay to hate on Asian people and call them white adjacent. Right. And so for, for them, their willingness to stand up and speak up and yell no matter what, because mm-hmm. they seek validation from others, results in them gaining territory in institutions. I guess what I'm wondering is though, uh, Reinhold Niebuhr has this wonderful quote in one of his essays. I forgot the name of it. Um, Everyone should read Reinhold Niebuhr, though, because he's awesome. Um, Where he says, man needs liberty, but also man needs community. And there will always be a tension between those two. So I'm just wondering, what, where does community end and collectivism begin for you? Um, Collectivism, in my critique, is more about disregarding fundamental principles and values for the sake of just fitting in. Okay. Finding your value in someone else because you don't find any within yourself. Okay. So I think... I, I would say something like, hey, here are the things that I believe in. I believe there's, you know, intrinsic rights that human beings have mm-hmm. no matter what, even if you try to take them away. And I think we should protect those rights. But I also recognize at a certain point we have to have common missions. We, one of the pr- big problems we have in the United States is actually the right has lost their mm-hmm. sense of collective in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And the left has lost their sense of principle. Mm-hmm. You know, so now it's just like people on the right 
don't protest. Mm-hmm. They've started to more so in recent times, but it's still typically the same groups and mm-hmm. not the average person who finds themselves on the right, as it were. Okay. The left protests for anything, even if it makes no sense. Like when Antifa comes out and says, we're against fascism, but then actually beats people in defense of state mandates, which sure. is like, what? Sure. Because they'll yeah. come out for anything. Yeah. So, I don't know. I think, obviously, one of the greatest the greatest times in, in American history, like the space race going to the moon, yeah. we had a national mission. Mm-hmm. We all came together. We all believed in it. And now we have lost social cohesion. Mm-hmm. The left has some kind of weird social cohesion but it's not mm, rooted in I don't know about that I mean <laughs> you, you know the way I wouldn't I, call that cohesion maybe maybe that's fair maybe that's fair but they are connected somehow you know mm. what I mean like they follow they, they follow it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a swarm of bats hive mind I think much of it is yeah. su- superficial wasps, <laughs> wasps. I think a lot <laughs> of it, I think a lot of it is superficial I don't think it's like I think you like strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter sort of thing on the on the left yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's, it's not. Yeah. I went to a Black Lives Matter protest last year in Brooklyn, and I held up a sign from that had a Kendrick Lamar quote that said on it, "A fatal attraction is common, and what we have common is pain." To try to spark a conversation about how, in many cases, the same uh, fears, traumas, what have you, that communities are experiencing, also exists within the police officers that are policing those mm. communities. So, but that didn't actually spark any conversation but what i did notice was that there was no actual spiritual underpinning uh people knew what they didn't want they didn't know what they wanted yes Mm -hmm. and um and so that was not i mean yes I, i i met people who have become my friends for sure but that was not, for example, in comparison to the civil rights movement, it, something that created actual sustainable community. So I'm, I'm curious. I, I would question the stability and sustainability of I, s- some of the movements today. I question whether or not they actually know what they don't want. Well, that's fair. So one, <laughs> one, one of the things that uh, I talk about a bit is... They claim to know what they don't want. I'll say that. Right. Well, they claim, sometimes claim to know what the solutions are. Abolish the police that's or true. defund the police. But yeah. they clearly don't want that because then when the police show up and arrest their political opponents, they cheer for it. Sure. One of the things I think we see uh, that I bring up often, why, the root of the culture war, in my opinion, or one of them, mm-hmm. was how algorithms were feeding people shock content for mm-hmm. money. Mm-hmm. And so what happened is, you're, let's say you're 10 years old in in 20 in 2009, mm-hmm. and you get on Facebook, even though you're not supposed to, because it's you know for 13 year olds and up. But you know kids are on it anyway. Yeah. All of a sudden, you see in your Facebook feed a police brutality video, okay. a black man being beaten by, by a cop. Okay. There were there were websites that were making millions of dollars mm-hmm. posting nothing but police brutality videos because it's shocking and it mm-hmm. gets clicks. Outrage. Yeah. So now you're 10. You see these videos and it's all and you click on it. Mm-hmm. So Facebook says, let's give you more. Mm-hmm. Then 10 years later, these videos have become dominant because it made so much money for people mm-hmm. that now there's a there's a there's someone who's voting who genuinely believes the world is nothing but police hunting down black people. Mm-hmm. Their whole worldview is built upon this fictional reality of these extreme instances that are actually exceedingly rare. Mm-hmm. They're bad and we should stop them. No doubt. Yeah. But exceedingly rare. Then they show up at a protest and quite literally verbatim, they say, police are hunting us down. Yeah. And if you try and tell them like, hey, that's not true. Mm -hmm. They get angry. They get violent. Mm -hmm. And then how do you calm someone down whose whole life has been built into this broken worldview? Well, that's not the space, first of all, (laughs) to try and calm someone someone down. For sure. But I don't mean like go to a protest and walk up to somebody who's angry and screaming and say, hey, you're wrong. I mean like (laughs) even, even my friends. 
where it's like I've been we, I was hanging hang out at their house and I would say things like this they'd be like you're wrong you don't understand and I can't believe you would say this stuff like I did I thought you I can't believe you're a racist and I'm like dude why are you getting angry you know what I mean I'm not mad I'm just these things are reality well I think it's I don't know you might be having a overly cerebral response to an emotional expression uh, form of expression. That is correct. Uh, and I don't think you will, that doesn't match. Those two right. will never match. You need an emotional expression to respond to an emotional expression. But here's, here's. Or the right balance of cerebral and emotional. Here's the challenge I face with this. Uh, so when I, I used to do, uh, nonprofit fundraising, canvassing, stuff like that. Okay. Uh, oh, hands down. I knew absolutely the emotional pitch was always better than the factual pitch. When I was working for a homeless shelter, I didn't go up to people and say, did you know that 17 children per day are found, blah, blah, blah. And, and if we work together, the average annual budget of the homeless shelter will come. Nobody cares. Mm-hmm. But if I said, yo, we had a kid last night. Mm-hmm. His parents both died in a fire. And now he's sleeping in the ditch. Mm-hmm. I, want you to, I want you to think about that for two seconds. Like, what is that? Could you imagine not having parents? And then they'd be like, oh, my geez. Like, what do I got to do? Yeah. The emotional was always better. But you know what? I don't like it because Why? it's disin- because it's disingenuous. Why is it disingenuous? So when when you're honest with someone, you can be nice to them, you can be compassionate, empathize and say, "I am going to lead you to water mm-hmm. and I'm going to be nice about it." But if you've got someone who's like fervently locked in a worldview over a decade of believing that cops are hunting down black people, mm-hmm. and you try to say to to them you know, listen, I understand these things are horrible. Mm-hmm. I would like to help you in stopping them from happening. Mm-hmm. I would also like you to consider that, we, you know, these, these instances are exceedingly rare. Mm-hmm. And though we definitely should focus on fighting them, we should try to do it from a level-headed perspective. And they'll be like, no, you're wrong. You're not. You're wrong. I see the videos all the time. I go on Reddit and it's nothing but these videos. You're, mm-hmm. trying, to, you're trying to downplay. But why should your reaction be dependent upon theirs? Meaning... Just because they're lo- maybe lost in a worldview, you're not you're not changing your reaction, or because they're going to be stuck or paralyzed. You're changing your reaction, or you're responding in a way that's empathetic because you believe in empathy. You're responding in a way that's compassionate because you believe in compassion, not because you say, "Oh well, compassion didn't work, so I'm just going to throw it throw it all out, or throw my hands up." Imagine trying to tell someone two plus two equals five. I don't think that's a good comparison. <laughs> Telling some... I think you're comparing, like, a mathematic equation to, like, things that fundamentally involve human beings, and which which goes beyond the abstraction. I'm not talking about the equation. I'm talking about the reaction people would have to being told something that they hold is fundamentally true, and you're contradicting it. Okay, fair enough. So I think if you look at a person like Daryl Davis, the guy who successfully got dozens of members of the KKK to leave the KKK... Right. By going to their rallies and being literally in community with them, his approach was not simply to go up to them and say, let me tell you why you're wrong. His approach was to genuinely, deeply listen to them and to hold space for them for the purpose of holding space for them. Not for this is this is tricky. Not for the purpose of convincing convincing them that they were wrong. They just so happened to be convinced that they were wrong by the mere presence, continuous presence. But but he wasn't simply spewing facts at them. He was choosing to be in community with them and that's not a cerebr or a purely cerebral fact-based approach. You are correct. That's true. Yeah, yeah. Well, we we I did an event uh with some friends. We had Daryl Davis speak and you're absolutely correct on that. 
Um, there were instances where he did challenge them, though, because sure. being their friend, he would. Right. Of course, he could challenge them, you know. At, the, at a certain point, the challenge is no longer a threat to your identity. Mm. That's but you I have, to, I th- you have I th- to pave that road first. I think you're absolutely right. I think we should just try to have more friends who we disagree with and just invite them into our spaces. It is difficult. It's extremely difficult. But again, this is the key. This is the hard part. Not inviting them in order to persuade them to change right. their mind. No, just invite people just to be friends. To just in the spirit of fellowship. Mm. Yeah. You know, the challenges, though... Um, I think when you look at someone like Daryl Davis, there's there's a, there's a, cer- a certain kind of like realization about who those people were who are nasty and racist because not all of them were converted. Sure. But a lot of them were converted. And the people who were converted were the people who weren't necessarily true believers, but they were in a community and they just held things to be true because that's all they ever heard. Mm-hmm. Uh, many of the guys that Daryl Davis met with never even met a black person before. Sure. And so when they were like, oh, I know about this, but they weren't like evil yeah so they were like by all means you can i believe in freedom and you can talk and say what you want but i hold these views and then they realize a lot of those things weren't true just by talking to them mm-hmm. one of the challenges is there's an ex- when it comes to like the wokeness and the culture war mm-hmm. you can't even get through to these people you um, let me tell you something mm-hmm. when we we did this event in uh it was in it was in i can't remember the name of the town so i lived in i used to live in south, south jersey okay and we there was this little theater just it's about an hour outside of Philadelphia. At the very last minute, self-proclaimed anti-fascists mm-hmm. threatened to burn the theater down mm-hmm. because we were holding an event called "Ending uh, Was it Ending Racism, Violence, and Authoritarianism." Mm-hmm. We had an ar- array of speakers: libertarians, conservative. We had no identitarian speakers, mm-hmm. either left. Actually, no. We had some progressive, you know, CRT, you okay. know, activists. We invited them, but we didn't invite any right or white identitarian types. Okay. Daryl Davis was the headline speaker. Those okay. were huge fans. Yeah. Like, it's an amazing story. And they threatened to burn the, the, the theater down. Within a, We had booked the thing a, a, almost a year in advance. Mm-hmm. The, uh, uh, the manager was like, don't worry. We've had Ann Coulter here before. We can deal with protest. Mm-hmm. He couldn't deal with the violence. Mm-hmm. So he terminated our contract and said, we will, we will not welcome you. And if you come, you will, we, will, we will call the police to have you arrested. Mm-hmm. And so he was like, sue me. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing we can really do. Yeah. We moved the main event to a casino okay. uh, on the other side of the river, which cut our capacity in half and did cause us financial damage. People weren't able to buy tickets. Yeah. But we had the event. We had Daryl Davis. However, a very brave uh, uh, couple, or no, I'm sorry, sorry, they, they, had, they had divorced a very brave uh, man and woman who uh, had a, a bar across the street, mm-hmm. refused to cancel the after party in the face of threats and of, of violence and protest. And we told them, like, we are here for you. We got your back. We, we, you know, don't worry. We will take care of you no matter what happens. Like, yeah. We're in this together. And they said, we're having the after party. No one's going to bully us. We know who you are. We know who Daryl Davis is. We're, we're, we're proud. We agree. And this is insane. Mm-hmm. Antifa and CR, like, you know, woke activists, Black Lives Matter showed up. And Daryl Davis, this is the craziest thing. Mm-hmm. Um, a black man who walked into Klan rallies, Mm -hmm. shook the hands with white supremacists and converted them, Mm -hmm. walked across the street to Antifa, and they all started screaming Nazi at him. Mm -hmm. And they wouldn't let him speak. He ended up posting on Facebook a very viral post where he said, I am shocked Mm -hmm. in all of my efforts meeting with white supremacists as a black man. They have at least given me the chance to speak, to have the conversation, to become friends. Mm -hmm. But by simply walking across the street, they Mm -hmm. wouldn't even let him talk at all. 
Mm-hmm. The mob is not an individual. We're going back to this individual versus collectivism, collectivism but, thing. But, it's but, crazy when a mob. I guess, I guess the, what, what I'm trying to emphasize here is there's something fundamentally different about what's going on now versus. I disagree. I mean, I, I, I know, I knew that that is what you were saying, but I mean, I feel it's necessary that I remind people of the civil rights movement and of the, uh, and of the, of the circumstances of the civil rights movement. I mean, churches were being bombed and Ruby Bridges had to walk to school where white people were yelling racial slurs and coming to her with literally uh, ropes around a black doll's neck to tell her that they wanted to hang her. And schools were being threatened with all of the very similarly. And so I disagree with this notion that, uh, woke fervor is somehow radically different from say the uh things that were happening during segregation in the Jim Crow South I mean I think it's not, it's just not objectively true it, it, and you know you brought this point up earlier about history I think we tend to forget how intense that was and equally intense and philosophically undergirded the response to it and it needed to be because of the intensity of the circumstances that many of the civil rights leaders found themselves in but it was absolutely similar if not worse to everything you're describing but in this in this story where you know you reference daryl davis and his ability to go and talk to but the clan is in disarray and and sure it's it's in a weakened state they have no strong tenets and so it's very so, different. So the stronger argument is the civil rights movement. But then you mentioned this this young woman who had all these white people screaming at her. Do mm-hmm. you think she could have walked up to one of them and shook their hand and said, "We have a conversation"? I don't. I don't think that the proper uh, thing to do strategically is to try to go shake like when people were tr- protesting segregation in the Jim Crow South. They weren't going up to white supremacists to try to shake their hands. No, I mean, like, you know? if she went to a white rally, like a Klan rally, and they were saying, don't allow you to shake No, because I'm saying that the, at that time, at that time, the circumstances were similar to what you're describing with Antifa. That's what I'm saying. So, and, and yet... So we agree. Yes, but you said it's very hard to persuade... You, you said it's very hard to persuade these kinds of people, but I'm saying the civil rights movement the philosophy of the civil rights movement understood that what was at bottom fundamentally of what these people what these racist people were doing was a lack a vapid lack internally that they were projecting onto the other and so the entire point of the nonviolent movement stemmed from this understanding that even as i protest you i know that you are my brother and that you are my sister and i'm not going to do you harm that is and that that moved the culture fundamentally um not only because of the visuals of that but because again the philosophy was deeply spiritually rooted and so i'm saying that is precisely the kind of response that is required in these days and times we we've uh uh, some we've had a few leftists on this show Mm -hmm. and it's very difficult for a few reasons (laughs) yeah it's not just about fundamental disagreements yeah some people just want to exploit the show Mm. and potentially cause it harm and we'd mm. watch out for that so like we might yeah. book someone who will come on and then starts breaking all the rules on purpose and trying to get us banned oh uh, and I think um, that's wild oh yeah yeah, we, we have, yeah there are people who have tried to exploit the show and we're like I know their game we're not gonna you know yeah uh, because they, they don't like us and I think the other is there's a fear of I guess excommunication cancel culture okay so there have been instances where people are like look I'd love to come on the show, but I just can't deal with that kind of heat. 
And other people have dealt with this too. Very prominent uh, figures on YouTube Mm. in the culture war have their guests get harassed relentlessly for coming on and it scares them away and say, I can't do this. But we have had a few different leftists on the show who have been willing to come on. Mm-hmm. And we are absolutely, uh, I, I thought they went very, very well. Yeah. I, I don't know if we can say we're, we're you know, we're friends because I wouldn't <laughs> want, I wouldn't impose that on them. But I thought we got along swimmingly. Yeah. And we've had Vosh friends on the show a couple times. Mm. And uh, Ian's a big fan. I love him. Wait, are you talking saying he's a big fan of me? His no, no, name's no. Ian also. Well, you're both fans. <laughs> yeah, Ian's <laughs> a big fan of, of Ian. Yeah. And, and so I actually, I've, I've, I've really enjoyed, uh, have, you know, Vosh you know, coming on. He's a socialist. He's, okay. he's very left. He was pro-Biden. You know, yeah. a lot of things we disagree with. Um, he's, he's. I, I think it's fair to say he's pro-CRT and all this stuff. Okay. And you know what happens is after the show, we're talking D&D and video games. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's where That's always like, what happens. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's like, hey, you know, like, we're we're not... Uh, I, I Like, you, you might notice we have, we have this poster here uh, back there. Shout out to Brent Lengel mm. of Snow White Zombie Apocalypse. Mm. So we argue on Facebook all the time, mm-hmm. and he's a lefty guy, and and I'm like kind of, but I'm not authoritarian. I'm very libertarian, so sure. like policy comes second to freedom to me. And uh, you know, he he put up a Kickstarter for this, and I was like, I thought it looked really cool. Yeah, I was like, I liked the art. I thought it was fantastic. So I was like, I'll I'll, I'll pitch in for this Kickstarter, mm-hmm. and I I posted about it saying. Look, me and this guy, we argue all the time, but I have no anim- no animosity or hard feelings towards him. I actually enjoy, you know, yeah. having these discussions. And, and it's never uh, – I think in this instance, we're not screaming at each other and insulting each other because we're good people. Yeah. And there are bad people on Twitter who just want to say nasty words. Yeah. But my point was, like, if we focused on the things that we had more in common, maybe we'd actually better understand each other on the things we don't have in common. Absolutely. Or actually just learn how we can live together to get get through these certain things. Mm-hmm. But I got to tell you, it's really, really challenging with a mainstream media apparatus that would say something like Joe Rogan took horse medicine. Mm-hmm. That kind of stuff. Um, the example I always use, sorry, audience, for beating a dead horse. <laughs> no pun intended. Democrats <laughs> believe the economy is good. Mm-hmm. Independent voters and Republicans believe the economy is not good. Mm-hmm. Oh, I saw you posted this. You it is. It this. is. Yeah, it is yeah. objectively true. The economy is not good. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose there's some metrics where you could like isolate one specific thing, like well, the unemployment rate went down by 0.2 percent. Yes, but that doesn't make a good economy mm-hmm. when you have 500,000 below expectation jobs. How is it that Democratic voters think the economy is good right now? Mm-hmm. New, I mean, New York businesses are losing money because of the mandates mm-hmm. that they're they're speaking about, they're complaining about it. Mm-hmm. Major shortages, price increases. It's just bad. I mean, we had record job openings. 10.1 million last month, mm-hmm. and then we only filled 235,000 they expected, 800 or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, we still have a massive, we have mass resignations, people are quitting their jobs, but people live in the matrix. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So that, that, what makes it really, really difficult is when you try and even invite someone to come on, mm-hmm. and they're like, I'm not going to go on a Nazi show or something because the media yeah. said bad words. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, you got to take it all in stride. But how do you, how would you navigate, like, so I, I agree with you on a lot of what you said, you know, about, yeah. you know, like meeting people as just a person, not for the sake of winning or persuading, but yeah. how do you, how do you navigate people who are constantly inundated by lies and deception to keep them away from you? You understand that you are not and cannot be omnipotent and you cannot control everything and you accept the good and the bad and you roll with the punches. But what if you're trying to, what if you're trying to make sure and you're like, I mean, look, it's, I, I suppose I, I Stoicism. agree, but that might be a bit <laughs> pessimistic. Like as if to say that I'm watching a building fall, fall down, knowing there's nothing I can do to stop it. You see, that's very interesting. Cause I, I do think that I'm pretty optimistic. 
And um, I know there are no guarantees with anything. But I do believe in culture. I actually believe in culture these days far more than I believe in politics. And I think that the culture is actually far more robust uh, and gives us a space to have conversations with people which w- with whom we disagree. And, um, and, and I think that maybe if you, in addition to, you know, meeting people in order to get to know them and things like that, leaned into the culture more than the politics, I would be curious where that would get you. In terms of how you perceive others and how others perceive you. I agree. You yes. know, so we, we have the Cast Castle vlog, mm. which is a, like the, it's the next, it's the latest show that we launched. We've got a couple of the show, other shows we're launching. One's going to be like Mysteries. Cool. We've done, uh, we've done like recordings of it and we're doing music and editing and stuff. It's going to be fun. Yeah. And the reason we started doing the vlog, there's two big reasons. One is like, man, the new stuff we do is so negative all the time. Yeah. I know like Ian points it out. It's like all we do is highlight this bad stuff. And I'm like, we got to highlight fun, good stuff. Yeah. And so the vlog is like, we have baby chickens. Look how cute they are. They're growing up. They're getting big. And now they're looking goofy because they're in that puberty stage where they have some feathers, but <laughs> not. Looking. They look really weird. Yeah. And so the goal of the vlog is just to be like fun and inspirational. For sure. Building culture. That's dope. And I, I, one of the complaints I have about the Republicans, because I, you know, I, I think, I think we used to have a uniparty. The Democrats and Republicans were like the same thing. Yeah. Then the, you know, the right wing populists kind of busted in the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. But the Republicans still very much think the path towards victory is like appointing judges. Mm. Yeah. I think Trump supporters understand that's not the case. Mm-hmm. It's the cultural institutions mm-hmm. that's going to shape the future. Okay. And what, who, where, how, what are the cultural institutions? The Apprentice. <laughs> that was one of them. The, the office, the office. So TV shows. Oh, absolutely. For example, TV, and TV film, and yeah, colleges, colleges, Oof. media. <sighs> yeah, yeah. I was a uh, man. I've been watching reruns of Thirty Rock. You ever watched? I literally just, just that restarted one. watching Thirty yeah. Rock. That is, is it, that it, is uncanny. I just it is Alec Baldwin <laughs> interview today. Yeah. Maybe it, maybe Netflix just yeah. like recommended Thirty Rock because I was oh. thinking about it for some reason. It's the first show I watched when I moved to New York, um, and so yeah, I love that show. And is it's it? a show that couldn't be made today. Yes, yeah. and that's the issue. You know what really was like a knife in the heart was when I'm watching. I think it's like the third episode, and Tina Fey. Oh, no, maybe it's like the, I don't know what episode it is, but uh, um, Jenna is doing a photo shoot for Maxim, yeah. and <laughs> there's like loud noise and a fan or whatever, and the guy interviewing her asks her about the war, and she says something, but you can't hear it, and he writes down, <laughs> I hate the troops. Oh. <laughs> and so there's this big thing in a magazine saying that she hates the troops, and Tina Fey is like, or, you know, Liz Lemon, why yeah. did you say that? She goes, yeah. I didn't say that he misheard me in this protest. <laughs> but anyway, she says... Okay, you know, Jack Donaghy goes, we're putting you on hardball with Tucker Carlson and Chris Matthews <laughs> to debate this. So good. And then Liz says something like, just say the war was started under false pretenses and it was horribly planned and that you respect the troops and don't blame them for this. And I was just like, man, where did that rhetoric go? Where, where was that left? Yeah. Obama. He came in saying he was going to fix it and then didn't. And a lot of it got left. The baggage got left in his garage. I, I will just add to finish the joke because it was amazing. <laughs> she calls Tucker Carlson very attractive, which is funny <laughs> because they would never allow that. Yeah. They would never allow Tucker Carlson to appear and be called attractive. He was on MSNBC and she says something that's really funny because it's 2007. She said, I think the government needs to hunt down Obama <laughs> and that's why I'm voting for Osama in 2008. <laughs> and that's 30 Rock. You couldn't, you, you couldn't get away with any of that it's stuff. It's such today. a good show. That's insane. No, but the reason why I'm optimistic is because it's starting to eat like so much of the art that we love. And I think that artists like will 
revolt against that. We have to now because if it gets eaten and it's gone, they won't know that it existed in the mm. first place, and then yeah. they won't be able yeah. to. But so the, we got to do it. But now. the artists are still alive. Like Steve Carell is still alive. You know, like yeah, but like I mean, I understand Jay Leno has always been like an awful shill, mm. but he said, "Get woke or die." Mm. See, I don't know why I wouldn't expect him to say that. I Yo, would, he would be the last comedian I'd expect to say that. Look at actually. Rage Against the Machine. I don't follow them. But, but you understand <laughs> I don't the know name anything about what they, they said recently. They, they have a lyric in a song, F you, I won't do what you tell me. Yeah. Now they've become the, the band of F you, you, do, you better do what they tell you. Um, well, I think that's because we're moving through a liminal. I, I just want to. I just want to give context because I think it helps us to empathize with people. Uh, we're going through an incredibly liminal phase, stage right now with the pandemic and everything on top of the pandemic, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, race relations, polarization, constant outrage uh, from social media. We're going through a liminal stage where people's rituals have been upended where people have lost their sense of being connected and, and, and things like that. And so we're dealing with an incredible amount of emotional scarcity. And in a time of emotional scarcity, people become extremists. It's like a law of human nature. Mm. And so on some level, what's happening is like horrible. But on another level, it's also expected uh, from a like a 10,000 foot level. And so the question for me is more how how can we how can we adopt, sorry to keep uh, reiterating this word, how can we adopt certain practices, certain relational ways of being so that we can deal with this very difficult time? And I think a lot of what you're seeing is ultimately a a, a, a misdirected or misapplied flailing for air in response to many crises, whether that's identity crises, uh, you know, pandemic-related crises, all of the above. Yes, I agree. And I think that's why you'll see there's protests over masks, there's protests over gender, there's protests over race. And it seems like the culture war is a million things at once mm -hmm. and and one thing. Like, there's a left and a right, and they're fighting each other. But then you hear people like, oh, parents are protesting. Which, which reason is it they're protesting now? Mm -hmm. Why does the left have these tenets that are, you know what I mean? It's like, it seems like there's a bigger overarching... Yeah, it's emo Chaos. emotional vacancy. I thought that was pretty insightful that you said that. Yeah, um, like the scarcity. There's a scarcity. And and so one thing I'll do is when I'm fasting, um, mm. I start to get more in touch with my emotions. I'll cry more. Or mm. if I take psilocybin, I'll cry more. Like I get more real. And then I'm able to feel other people. Yeah. You know, I'm we sure there's something. This obesity thing's terrifying, man. It's hard to feel when you're stuffed with food. I just, yeah. I just, I just have an idea. <laughs> That's true. I, I think we can solve the problem. We need a monk. A shaman and a priest, or to walk and, into and, a and bar, <laughs> yeah. to walk into a school, the grind bar, maybe. Yes. Oh, school. To walk into a school, yeah. and have a serious conversation with a bunch of young students, just about the great questions of life. Yes, and we humanity. are. All, everything that's going on fundamentally has to do with the great questions of life, and and hardly anyone is tuned into that. That that is what is at the center of all of this, I believe. And I agree, we need some shamans up in here to like help us figure this stuff out. But I, I, I was thinking first and foremost, just like a straight up shaman, <laughs> because they could they could ask so many questions to, to people that would challenge their perceptions. It's it's. Yeah. But, but I but I actually I, before I even I was gonna, I was thinking I'm like man, you know, because you mentioned psilocybin and stuff. But then I was like, you know what? But a monk, 
you know, would yeah. also and, and, and a priest and a rabbi mm-hmm. and an imam and like mm-hmm. a, a Buddhist teacher. I don't know. Uh, what, what do you call a teacher of Buddhism? Um, monk? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Yes. But, but, yeah. I don't know if they but teach like a Buddhist having, monk. But having a bunch of different people of different, you know, backgrounds, but with a, a background in the great questions of life, philosophy, and theology, I think would be profound for a young person to experience. Welcome to the theory of enchantment. Uh, is that what it is? <laughs> Fundamentally. Yeah. I got I got this feeling that um, yeah. illegal making weed illegal yeah. has destroyed our culture. It's been a hundred years, so we don't it's kinda new. And yeah. all these people, like people in jail, people afraid, getting paranoid when they're using when something they're that already the makes them paranoid. With you have <laughs> cannabinoids in your brain, like your brain's ready for it. Yeah. It's been part of our evolution for tens of probably hundreds of thousands of years, if not more. I don't know. You think yeah. apes were smoking pot? Yeah, or eating it. Probably more likely eating it all. And then they would like make big bushes of it, and they'd all sit in a sweat lodge and light this huge bush of it on fire and just chill in the sweat <laughs> well, lodge. I, no, and get I mean really apes, hot. Not humans. Apes probably were eating it back in the day. They weren't and doing Slowly fires. evolved over time. Got yeah. more intelligent. Did you ever hear that thing about like apes ate mushrooms? Um, I do think that the story of Adam and Eve is fundamentally a story about like two, like it's the story of the development of of self consciousness among human Whoa. beings, and like the fruit that they ate were like yeah. mushrooms or something, Whoa. and then they saw themselves, and then they were uh, paranoid, which is why they were ashamed, and that's what. Something but like actually, it was necessary to go. Th- it's necessary to go through the that tree. Phase. What is it? The fruit what was it called? The fruit of knowledge? Is it? Uh, the the tr- yeah the tree, tree of, of good knowledge, knowledge of good and evil. evil. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So it's just like... I think it's like a symbolic story about that. Yeah. I think you're right. That's interesting that people, you know, there are people who believe like, you know, some primates ate some mushrooms, started tripping out and like <laughs> looking at their hands like, wait a minute. Yeah. Woke them up. It's crazy. And that's like, not to, you know, I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but there's a, there's an element of similarity in Adam and Eve and then eating the fruit and knowledge of good no, and No, I actually think it's an incredibly deep I think it's a deep and profound story, and I think it's more true because it's symbolic, not mm. because it's literal. I think the fact that it's a symbolic story makes it more true, not less true. Yes. There's more likely lots of apes around the world were consuming psychedelics and, and kind of realizing that they were what they were over time. I think... And they wrote one story about it. I, well, it's interesting because, like, in the West, our tradition is uh, Hebraic and Greek, and... Adam and Eve, whereas in the Far East, it's the Buddha. But both stories, there's a garden involved. And, like, um, I always, I, I actually, yeah, I actually think that, like, the, just as an aside, I think that the Far East is, in theory, like, their wisdom tradition is more e- equipped to deal with abundance as a curse because the Buddha originally was a prince who was born into right. a, a palace and had everything and his father wanted to keep him from the truths of the world. He's going to get old, he's going to die, he's going to age and all these things. So, you know, eventually he discovers this and this is the part of his path to enlightenment. But I do think it's interesting that like many stories in different cultures across space and time have an origin story that takes place in the garden. And it's this, and it's this uh, perennial idea of what happens when you discover that there is something outside of yourself. People need like some kind of fundamental religion. And well, I, I, what do you I, mean by fundamental? <laughs> right, right, right. That's a good point. I don't, I don't mean like fundamentalist, <laughs> yeah. like extremist. I just mean like a base, very, very basic. And yeah, not, I agree with that. Not, I think people need wisdom traditions for sure. Yeah, yes. exactly. Okay, yeah. so maybe I should have said fundamental religion. <laughs> <laughs> too close, too close to the word fundamentalist. Yeah, right. Um, 
Well, what does that mean? Does that mean that they're never gonna? They, there's, like, it can never be taken away from them. Like they believe it no matter no, what. No, I mean, I mean, no, like, it's like r- this, rudimentary. It's it's the substrate of I reality mean, like, of how they understand reality. Yeah. I think I grew up in a religious home, definitely beautiful, also dogmatic in many ways. Mm, same. Um, very grateful for that experience because yeah. of where it brought me today, but. Uh, at this point, I'm seeing everything that's happening in the world. I'm like, my future kids will definitely be raised with some kind of wisdom tradition. Yep. There's yeah. no way, like, mm-hmm. it's gonna be like vapid or like purely secular. It's just not happening. My my issue with a lot of atheists, yeah, is that and uh, and you can check out the the debate we had, the discussion debate we had on religion. We did a member a bonus segment with Sidney Watson and Elijah Schaefer. So mm. I'm not saying this to be disrespectful to anybody, but a lot of atheists have a very very limited understanding of great questions. Mm. And so often they'll say something like there you know, I don't believe there's a bearded man in the sky watching over us and I'm <laughs> like, I don't think that's what Christians or yeah. Muslims believe. Yeah. I think that's like you actually haven't sat down and had a conversation with mm. a theologist or, uh, or or experienced any kind of wisdom tradition as, yeah. as you describe it. And so they have this like I don't know um diminished or, or maybe that's not the right word but very very uh um, nourished yeah mal- yeah that's that's <laughs> yes. probably a better maybe word. a misinterpretation of what god is yeah. you got to kind of lack define of understanding what god is. in yeah. in in these great questions cuz i think when you start to think about some of the, I, I remember when i was like 18 mm-hmm. and i'm hanging out with my friends and they were just stoned off their asses <laughs> and i don't i don't smoke i've never been a smoker <laughs> and we it was a cra- it was one of the craziest conversations about time the origins of the universe and you religion. remember it <laughs> That's yeah, the they, were, they were sitting there. You're like the scribe, and then like my my contacts were in too long, and my eyes were getting bloodshot. So everyone thought I was stoned anyway. So I, I fit in. No, but like yeah. Yeah, just like asking these questions, and then we had like a, someone pulled up a picture showing like uh, a linear Big Bang timeline, mm-hmm. and then I started thinking about it and just imagining the vastness of the universe. And then we were like talking about how the known universe looks very similar to a neuron when we like mm. map out, and I'm like. <laughs> yeah, I was actually, I, but, but but I bring that up because there's a lot of people who haven't had those tripped out conversations yeah. that make them expands their mind's eye, as it were, to be like, why would I ever stop and think that God was like a dude with a beard sitting in a cloud? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I was thinking yesterday about uh, individualism and collectivism a mm-hmm. lot, and I'm like, I think I'm that. What, what did I write? I wrote it on Minds. I, I posted this that it seems like life is like a subjective experience. Each person is like, life is for me, and for you, life is for you. But then I'm like, but I feel for like the, the slaves in China and like the, mm. the kids being trafficked around the world. So there's like, yeah. it's like I'm part of this greater collective, like mm-hmm. really, like I am. And that's what they call holism, holistic. Mm-hmm. And then there's a real belief like holism. And then that's like, it coincides with the uh, holofractographic universe that NASA mm. Harriman's been working on. It's he's like he solved Einstein's field equation and he shows oh, like, wow. hey, the universe is connected through mm. the vacuum. Yeah. So this collective idea is like, yeah, we're we're definitely the same at some level, we're the same organism. We're mm-hmm. parts of the same organism, but it just depends on the scale that you're looking at it. I think you know. Yeah. You know what we need to do? We need to take babies, and then even when they can't talk or anything, have them just do five years of philosophy trainings and teachings. Yes. Philosophy. Just not, them up not, to a neural net, and but no, no, no. Like learning. having having someone sit down with them and start very very with very rudimentary basics of. You know, hmm. I agree. And Did positive reinforcement. Obviously, I'm not Tell saying go to, a, go to a baby and pull up, you know, lock and start talking about <laughs> liberalism. No, I mean, like, starting with a baby and just 
being with a baby and like, hey, you want to install do. some good philosophy in kids tell but, them they're intelligent tell them you're good at learning and you're really good at that that is a deep belief mm. a religious belief that you can instill in a human from an early I, age I, I just mean like you know asking questions of the things like what did you see today Socrates. you saw a bird yeah what did the bird look like what do you think about that bird have you ever have you ever, okay where'd the bird go did you see the bird? You know, like just very simple things. <laughs> and then once they're a little bit older and about to go into to kindergarten and they're actually talking and they're learning basic math and reading, now you can start asking them more serious questions like, where do you think I go every day? What do you think happens? Those are the kind of questions that will like make them think and imagine. Mm-hmm. And then you tell them and then you can show them. And then as they get older, start laying on the deep, deep philosophy. And I imagine if you did that, we would have an individualist nation that works as a collective mm-hmm. when there's emergencies that needs to, mm-hmm. that people trust each other. Mm-hmm. My problem was learning about philosophies didn't make me philo- philosophical. It was smoking right. weed. It was the THC <laughs> and the self-introspection. I always kind of wanted to be philo- – I was kind of philosophical anyway. Yeah. But people would be like, you got to read young. You got to read – this guy and that and I'm like I don't care man I am connected with God I'm experiencing it this is like a real thing and that was the philosophy coming out of me because of what I was feeling if you guys are really into this you should check out the work of John Verveke if you're not already familiar with him he's excellent he's a cognitive scientist out of Mm -hmm. University of Toronto and I've learned so much from him he has a podcast series on Spotify called Awakening from the Meaning Crisis where he goes through the whole history of the West from the end of the Bronze Age all the way up to like the 90s it's like, oh, man. and he I also has, come out. you yeah. should invite him. Toronto, he also has like meditation practices that I follow. Like they're free on YouTube. So anyone, it's a progressive course, meaning he teaches a new thing every Monday. Cool. Um, what's his name? Stuff. John, what's his last name? Verveke. Verveke. V-E-R-V-A-E-K-E. Thank you. He's excellent. Oh, cool. I'm excited. Yeah. He's we excellent. Need, you know, what's really funny is cause like I'm, I've never done any kind of really hard drug at all. Mm. I drank a bit from when I was like 19 to 20. Mm. And then I was like, drinking's done. <laughs> 19 to 20? Like for a year, <laughs> I drank a, a lot. Stint. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah, if you do that, well, then you're going to I was drinking it. when I was 18. <laughs> you know, I probably started drinking when I was 16, but not like a drunk, right? I was like sure. my first beer and then Social. some parties when I was 17 and I would get drunk, but I was never a heavy drinker. Mm. And then probably like 19 and 20, it was like a party on the weekends every weekend. Yeah. And you just get drunk. You get like a King Cobra. Alcohol blows, just, dude. It's it does. Ter- it does. It's As not, a drug, it's one of the lowest in my it's opinion. Hard value. It's just legal. But I've never, <laughs> so I've never, uh, uh, I've, I've smoked pot a couple times. I've never done anything else. I have no interest yeah. in that. I have no tattoos, no piercings. Acid is Boy. very nice. I yeah, I wouldn't say. consider it a hard drug. If you do yeah. slow doses, those things aren't hard. But, Alcohol is much harder. But I, I say this because I genuinely believe people, and, and, and uh, well, I'll be careful about how I say it, but <laughs> there are certain psychedelic experiences people have had that I think have greatly benefited them. Mm-hmm. Uh, specifically, the research they're doing on, you know, like PTSD mm. yeah. and other, you know. Molly with PTSD. Yeah, MDMA. And, yeah. And so I'm wondering if there is too, a very yeah, great depression. benefit people would experience undergoing some kind of psychedelic. There is. And the fact that they made weed illegal in 19, whatever it was, 20 something is terrible because now people don't understand it. They don't know what the dosages are for it because a mm. tiny, tiny bit is what you're supposed to do with that stuff. Yeah. Mike, you're going to do it. Not a hit of it. Not You don't burn and go <gasps> and take this huge thing. And that's an overdose. That's why things get all blurry and you're like, whoa, you're overdosed. That's not intentional but use. How much of it are you supposed to take? I mean, a tiny, tiny. I, I don't know the actual microdosage. You'd probably have to talk to a doctor. There, there, okay. there are like Silicon Valley people do this. Yeah, they, they microdose all day. That's interesting. But I will say, it doesn't get you high. I'm not I encouraging. And it was not an encouragement to anybody. I'm talking <laughs> no, about medical research yeah. and the data we've got so far, and I think it's promising. 
And that's why I think this ex- ex- extended state DMT research is fascinating because mm. I feel like this this research is gonna is, could lead to like re- like helping people a whole lot for sure with like breaking down the the barriers, the walls, their own insecurities, and all that stuff. Have you smoked DMT much? No, I've never. I smoked puffed DMT. on it once. It was pretty cool. Right, take ayahuasca. I, I'm one day. Oh, you will. You have. <laughs> I will do. Before. I will do. Ayahuasca. I am the, planning on doing ayahuasca. Yeah, ayahuasca. and that's the shaman yeah. stuff. Yeah, you know, that's the mother. Like there's, there's, you know, you, you you go to these villages. You might find a shaman. He's not going to be able to tell you anything about calculus, <laughs> rocket science. Maybe, maybe, probably not. But you <laughs> well, know. maybe it's a rocket yeah. scientist fly to South America and was <laughs> like, the way. but they can, they can, they It'd can make for a dope TV show. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you this. I remember when I was a teenager. When I was a kid and I was a teenager, that that quote, the only the only thing like true uh, true wisdom is knowing that you know nothing. Yeah, Socrates. When you finally come to understand what that really means, because you tell you it, would love John Verveke. I it's fantastic. You. I look him up. Yeah, <laughs> like, but when when you're he younger, talks about this all the time. You, and you're so arrogant. Not everybody is, but like for me, when I was younger and very arrogant, and I was like, that means that's stupid. People are dumb. They think they're so smart. And then I get a little bit older, meet more people, and I'm like, man, I'm so dumb. Yeah, I was like, I'm the problem. (laughs) Wow, I realized that in my 20s. But but it's funny because, like, he's like Socrates is trying to warn me, like, Mm. you're not being wise by by thinking this. And I'm looking straight at the quote, being like, what a what a (laughs) dumbass. And then I'm like, later on, I'm like, man, he was so much smarter than me. I'm so stupid. (laughs) Well, one of the reasons why some of these drugs are super cool is because they result in ego loss, and the reason why people have a hard time thinking that they don't know everything is because their identity is attached to how much they know and their sense of self is attached to how much they know and if they have to wrestle with the fact oh i don't know something does that mean i mean my life is meaningless and then they go down this rabbit hole so that's ultimately like that's why like acid is like a a great drug because it affords you a sense of ego loss i also discovered fashion when i did acid oh interesting fashion like you got into doing fashion yeah nice one one of the reasons I've, i've i've been a big fan of jordan peterson for a while was when he went on that uh, Jim Jeffries show Hmm. and he said you know he's like I don't think that you know you should be forcing a person to say certain words and you know like Mm -hmm. telling them how they should run their businesses and you know who they should invite in and then he was like but don't you think it was a good thing that they forced businesses and civil rights movement to desegregate Mm -hmm. and Jordan just went yeah, maybe I was wrong about that. <laughs> like, just very simply, yeah. like, oh, hey, good point. <laughs> yeah. So many people would be like, what? How did? No, yeah, I wasn't. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. Humble. I'm like, that's that's the sign of somebody who's actually thinking, listening, and not so concerned with himself. He's more concerned with what is true, what is yeah. the, great, the great questions. Yeah, in search of, course, of the truth. And the answer, as we know, is 42. Yeah, of course, <laughs> That's yes. true. Yeah. That's my Wait, age. Yeah, what? Wait, what did you say? According to, the, to, uh, the answer to the great question is 42. What does that mean? According to the Hitchhiker's Guide <laughs> to the Galaxy. Why? Did you ever read that book? No. Why in, is everyone insisting that I read this book? Uh, maybe maybe because you should. <laughs> He's wonderful. In the book, they're like, what is the meaning of the universe? They ask this giant super. No, no. They said, what is the great question? What is the great question? Or what is the answer to the great question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the computer at the end is like, you didn't ask what the question. Like, you didn't tell me what the question later. was. Yeah. Yeah. But the answer is 42, according yeah. to that book. So they. they oh, that's real. They, Earth is a computer. <laughs> I guess to like calculate the answer already, to the great already wrong, it's already starting <laughs> off wrong. Come on, it's all good. I've not read the book. I've seen the movie. <gasps> I have never done either, but I played the video game. <laughs> what the heck? It was, it was one of those text so games. I'm not the only one. So basically, in the movie, Earth is destroyed to make way for a superhighway. Yep. And they're given like okay. only like an hour's warning. Like, like a comedy. Your yes. planet will be destroyed to make way for the galactic superhighway. We're sorry for the inconvenience. Have a nice day, and then they kill everybody. <laughs> okay. But then oh later, like. I guess later, I can't remember, like a group, 
or aliens realize Earth was actually a special project to calculate the answer to the question, so they have to rebuild the oh. Earth and <laughs> remake it, and everyone comes back and whatever. Oh, interesting. And then they go to the computer, what's the answer? 42. And they're like, what? Like, have what? Nice you day. didn't give me the actual question. <laughs> what <No>. do you want? <laughs> Is that how it ends? I, I, it's a series. It's a trilogy. I never with five it. Stars. Oh, it is yeah. a trilogy. It is a trilogy with five parts. Wait, what? Which oh. tells you leave it to the British. To <laughs> I think that's British comedy. Douglas <laughs> Adams. Action. Yes. There's a couple Douglas. other. There's a couple other movies that I like, and it's, um, huh. I think it's called Any Anything Anytime with Simon uh, Pegg. Pegg, yeah. British is that what it's called? Oh, I don't know that one. So I think, and, and then is there's also sci-fi. Yeah, it's like aliens. Um, th- th- to decide whether a race they discover is worthy. It's absolutely anything. <laughs> absolutely anything. Grant a random entity on the planet absolute power. Ooh, that's so, that's great. That's so a great they, test. So Simon Pegg just all of a sudden that's has a the ability test. to do anything. What would be the first thing you do with absolute power? Uh, give it away. That me too. Yeah. Oh, ding ding ding. Yeah, I would give it to someone or or just make and it. You disappear. would lose. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> what would you do? What was the first thing you do? What would, what would, Ascend to a higher plane. What does that? Mean? What does that mean? Perceive the universe from from external dimensions and explore and just watch and understand and learn and try to learn whatever I could. And then what? what See, the, here's the problem with your answer. Give the power away. Well, I would disperse sure. it. I would, I would di- turn it to zero and all the power. And right. all the power. No, I would, you would dis- yeah, you would disperse it. When you say give it away, to, how do you, who, to whom do you give it? Mm. For me, it's like I just go and I'd go to Mars. I wouldn't interfere with anything. I'd observe. I'd Even watch. After seeing the your very presence would be an interference. Why would it be? Because it's physics. If I if I have absolute power, I would phase out of sync with existence. This is this okay. Well, so this is we're suspending the, we're suspending physics in this hypothetical. Yeah. Oh, is it absolute okay. power? Yeah. We'll, yeah. we'll yeah, suspend like, classical physics. Did yeah. you quantum oh, physics? Oh, oh, did now. you mean like political power? No, absolute. No, no, because we're talking power. about a movie where the dude can literally do anything yeah, at God-like all. Godlike okay, power. Can you define absolute? In what the does that mean? What does so, that mean? well, hold on. So, just in the movie, yeah. literally anything, absolutely. Anything. So he can. Go, I'm gonna chill on the I'll, sun. Yes. He can like. Well, I mean, I'll, yes, yes, You could yes. burn your body alive well, hold on, hold on. <laughs> if you wanted. Let me. I'll spoil the movie for you guys. Okay. All right. He actually. So the aliens. You think the test is that they want to see what you do with absolute power, mm-hmm. and Earth fails the test because Simon Pegg ends up being a good guy mm-hmm. who gives the power away and doesn't want to be this powerful entity, and the aliens are outraged. Because, of course, the only thing someone should do with absolute power is cause pain and suffering and control and dominate. <laughs> and only a few races have ever actually used the galactic power in this way. So then they try to destroy the Earth. But I guess, like, I can't remember exactly what happens. He made his dog, send, like, his intelligent. And then the dog. He made his dog intelligent? He gave the power to his dog because he didn't want it. But then I, I can't remember. But basically what happens is the power actually destroys the source of the power itself and kills all the evil aliens before they can destroy Earth. Right. That's why you give it away. Because if you don't give it away, it'll destroy you. Like the one ring? If I exactly. had, if I had exactly. absolute power, I would just go to higher dimensions. They would be coming after you. Who would? The Nazgul. Nobody <laughs> seek you through. The, I don't know. I don't know that far. I don't know, man. I'd just, Have you seen power Doctor Strange? I love Doctor Strange. It's Shrek. one of my favorite Marvel It is films. my favorite movie. Yeah. It is like my absolute it's favorite It's one of my movie. favorite in the Marvel did, Universe. Did you just watch the new What If? I w- the new What If? On Disney Plus, there's a show called What If. Oh, no. Oh, I cool. What's that? that? It is. It takes it the Marvel Cinematic Universe stories and says, what if in this universe X happened? Cool. So in the latest one, they said, what if, oh, man, I'm disappointed in this episode. Okay. It says, what if Doctor Strange lost his heart instead of his hands? 
So you he know, would this, die. No, 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 no. His 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 emotional heart. Oh, so here's what happens. Guys, spoiler alert! If wait, you want to watch, wait, can this. we like can we just flesh this out on our own and not yeah. because if it sucked. Then it's going to no, 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 I guess it, turns, I don't, it, it didn't suck. It like Doc, Doc, uh, I just think they missed the best version of the story. Okay. Oh, all right, okay. let me let me break it down for you guys because you know I'm I, I could fix all of these movies. <laughs> of course, you have good. ultimate power. Spoiler alert <laughs> for those that want to watch. What if I enjoy the show? They could do better, but it's a good show. Um, this Doctor Strange episode, I'm going to give spoilers. Okay, so here's what happens. In this version of the Doctor Strange story, for those that aren't familiar, in the movie, Doctor Strange is this egotistical super famous neuro neurosurgeon and he's driving to get an award and he tries to d- bypass a semi on the highway in a storm and then you know there's an accident he flies off the road crashes and his hands get crushed now he can't work anymore so he spends all of his money trying to get surgeries and then finally once he's broke he seeks out the mystic arts and then becomes the sorcerer supreme okay <laughs> in the what if show christine goes with him christine of course is his love interest in the car accident, he survives and she dies. Ooh. Because of her death, he questions his life and decides to seek out answers in the mystic arts as to the nature of life and becomes Sorcerer Supreme. Okay. And then saves the, the, you know, you know, the plan and everything as the movie goes. But with the time stone, the eye of Agamotto, he can go back in time and save Christine. Huh. But every time he tries, uh, she dies in a different way. She gets shot, a building explodes, Ooh. something happens. And then the Ancient One comes to the past because he keeps interfering and she's still alive in the past and says, this is an absolute point in time that can't be changed. If she doesn't die, you don't pursue the mystic arts. Right. And because you don't, Dormammu wins and you can't exist. Thus, in this universe, for it to exist, she has to have died. So what happens is Strange becomes evil. (laughs) He says, I will break the the absolute point in time Uh, by any means necessary. He becomes Darth Vader. Yeah. And so in the end, he destroys the universe. And you know what really busted me up? The missed opportunity. What is the missed opportunity? First, I'll point out the reason I brought it, I I, want to bring it up is (laughs) the main, the narrator of the show is the watcher. Love that guy. He just watches. Yeah. But doctor, so in all of these different what if episodes, you can see the watcher in the background watching. Oh, that's creepy. But no no one knows. Cool Marvel character. Because regular people don't have that understanding, but Doctor Strange does. So Doctor Strange, actually calls out the watcher watching him do it and he says you're a god help me fix this and he goes i am not a god you did this to yourself and he goes no but you're here you can help it was amazing to see him be the one character who knew the watcher was watching because he's dr strange he's an awesome character you know what really busted me up the opportunity was so good (laughs) it was so good and they missed it let me tell you what should have happened because i was like oh i think i know what's going to happen christine dies and no matter what he does, he can't save her. It's an absolute point in time that sets him on the path to become Doctor Strange. Mm-hmm. So in the end, he shouldn't have become evil. He should have kept trying and he should have defied this, the, the Ancient One and said, no, I will never give up. And the Watcher should have said, there is one universe in which Christine doesn't die. It's the universe where you destroy your hands and your life and everything you're famous for. All of your wealth oh, and lose everything. Yeah. And then he says, I will sacrifice everything I am and yeah. have ever achieved if it means wow. she lives. That's and great. then it kicks off the goosebumps. original Doctor yeah. Strange movie where 
he caused he caused his own hands to be destroyed. I think you're going to need to buy Marvel. <laughs> I agree. You're right. No, that's 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 totally that should have been it. Like he calls on the Watcher instead of becoming Darth Vader, he would have become Jesus. Can the Watcher do that though? Is the wa- I don't no, think no, the Watcher no, no, no. can interfere like that. Can the he? Watcher does talk to Strange? Oh, cool. And the Watcher is the one who sees all these universes. And Strange could have said, "Please help me." If the universe is dis- being destroyed, and he says, "There's nothing I can do." And then the Watcher could have said, in one universe. Does the Watcher ever give advice like that, historically? I don't know. But maybe, That's maybe the one thing. So then maybe. His curse is to always witness and never participate. But like everybody, but like, still, like Picard, yeah. you know, every but, once in a while you bend hold the rules. On. But he still talked to Doctor Strange. Yeah, he can so talk. At, at the very least, it could have been that as things are falling apart, he remembers what the Ancient once said about being driven to the mystic arts. And then he realizes he has to have a sacrifice that drives him. So he decides to sacrifice his entire being and life, his hands, his work, his career, his wealth mm-hmm. to save Christine's life. And then he uses the Agamotto one more time and she's not in the car anymore. And then he crashes and destroys his hands. Mm. She lives. Yeah, you nailed it. That would have been 100%, it percent Because man. then it starts the movie off and, then and you're like, yeah. he did it to himself yeah. for a good reason. Oh! But then I have a question though. Doesn't that change the the actual original movie? Because in the original movie, he was in fact egotistical. So wouldn't that it doesn't be, be weird? Because if he's really doing it deep down, because he's not egotistical. No, no, all no. of that, ha- like the driving and the thing, happens when he's like in his egotistical state. He would go back in time and set the path forward where he destroys his own life, erasing his timeline and creating a new timeline where. He's still egotistical. His hands are okay. destroyed. He still seeks out the answers and then comes to better understand reality, never knowing what really happened with the first iteration of Christine's death. Interesting. So it's like a time loop that just ends itself. Okay. I just thought that would have been amazing. That would have been amazing. Hmm. Yeah. You do need to buy Marvel. Man, I think Come we got to buy it, man. Anyway, Doctor Strange, awesome. Why are we why are we talking about Doctor Strange? Um, cuz I, I like Doctor Strange. I forgot his <laughs> I forgot the connection. I forgot the connection we we're making. Time oh, oh, power. because Connected you can because you cannot have absolute power mm-hmm. and that was the whole point of um that other movie. No, the end of Doctor Strange, right? Where he goes to bargain with death. And the Dormammu. Mm, okay. Uh, well, Okay, but his his wise colleague says you always have to pay. You always have something yep. to pay, and I I think that's why you can't have absolute power. The bill comes due always. Yeah, that's legit. My favorite movie. I love that. It's a Strange. great movie. It's an incredible film. It's in I, I I just love the Top idea of right this now. narcissistic yeah. doctor who's like fundamental belief in science. And then he discovers hidden meaning and truth after he lets go of himself and goes and becomes a monk and then becomes this great and wise hero. Yeah. I'm excited for the new Spider-Man movie because he's like the main... Oh, is he? Yeah. So uh, the trailer shows Peter Parker asking Strange to do a spell to erase everyone's memory. Oh, and interesting. so Doctor Strange is doing cool stuff. <laughs> My favorite Marvel F- MCU character is Doctor Strange. I love that movie. I'm excited for the next. Kudos yeah. to Cumberbatch, man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fantastic Nailed actor. It. Yeah. Oh, and I was going to say one of my favorite movies is the first new Star Trek. I don't know. What was it called? Not Into the Darkness or whatever, the first one. Oh, also with Cumberbatch? Also with Cumberbatch. Yeah. Well, yeah, he plays Khan, I think. That's Into Darkness, isn't it? Oh, is that the second one of the yeah. new ones? Either way, Cumberbatch slayed it. The best part of that movie. <laughs> I loved him. That was my he introduction was really to Cumberbatch, good. too. But oh, it's yeah. like he Khan was, wasn't it Ricardo Maltabon or whatever it was? I don't know who that is. Oh. They just like, 
I guess. Benedict Cumberbatch is good. He was not a good Julian Assange. I thought that was awful. Oh, but he is that. a really good Dr. He Strange. He had a yeah. weird yeah. dark voice as Khan. I was like, what the heck Yeah, is when this? he says his name. <laughs> and, then, and then alternate timeline, Spock is like, oh, snap. Yeah, it was Ricardo Montalban, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's read some super chats from yeah. everybody. Wow, we're a little late. We went a little bit late because we don't do the bonus segments anyway, and I really wanted to talk about that Doctor Strange episode because it was eating me alive. <laughs> I'm glad you did. That's yeah, awesome. no, that's good. That's a good resolution. Oh, All right, man. That, yeah. Can we just make that? Because that's what I want to watch. <laughs> yeah. I want to believe that in the end he like he became corrupted but then truly realized what it meant to be a hero and then created a new timeline for himself. Is it make. that you can't take one of your favorite people like descending into evil darkness? You can't take I, it. I felt like it was out of character, to be honest. Well, you know, the Shakespearean uh, tragedies are always not what you expect. It's it's not just that. I'm fine watching Doctor Strange go totally evil and then say, oh, no, what have I done? But there was no payoff for it. It I was see. just like, well, we, we, we were told he was going to destroy the universe if, if he did. He didn't care and did it anyway, and the universe got destroyed. I'm like, what was the lesson? What was what did we what what happened other than okay. just the, the it's the end of the universe? He wasn't f- thrown into like despair. He was. Yeah. Yeah, it's like the universe collapses, and then he's just like trapped in a gem or something. And Christine, he saves Christine, but then she gets you know uh, she disintegrates in the collapsing universe. How do you feel about Star Wars? Sorry to keep coming back to <laughs> the original Star Wars. Yeah, great. The prequels, how, silly but fun. The sequels, <laughs> just the worst Gosh. trash I've ever seen. In How my do life. you feel about the, uh, Darth Vader's arc as a uh, character? I think I think it's so fascinating. It's really really good, but I know that you have to watch Clone Wars to get the full grasp of his transformation. Okay, the movies themselves don't do it justice. Sure, and yeah. I was not a fan of it's more like, plot driven in the movies than character driven. I think like, a lot about it because I think using the dark side is is necessary. Yeah. Um. And, For and sure, we have to be more. We have to not fear it, but but be familiar with it to control it, so that it doesn't take over. This oh, is I think what the shadow Jedi, work the is. Jedi about. are awful. Je- Jedi shadow. are awful. Like, have you ever played Knights of the Old Republic? When you meet the yeah, gray, yeah. the gray Jedi, and they're like, I dated someone who said that the Jedi were awful. They are the religious zealots. Absolutely. We are no longer dating. <laughs> oh wow! You have to go deeper on why you think that's so, awful. So the Sith are bad because yeah. they covet power and they are willing to kill to gain more. The Jedi yeah. are bad because they're dogmatic, and that's fair. It, it, it's it's a, it's a dogmatic religion re- religion of celibacy and and, and monk stuff. Is and that's 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 fine to an extent. Yeah, but not when they wield power and try to assassinate a chancellor because they think he's a bad guy. But he was a bad guy. And so they knew. what? <laughs> they knew they could feel it. And that and the problem is it's it's very obvious if Mace Windu did not try to kill Palpatine at that moment. I agree. I agree with that. They completely. would have won. But there's zealotry. Actually, I don't think he's I totally, evil. He must be I stopped. Totally I have to kill that. him. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I, and they, what lo- it, they lost their way. You don't think he should have killed him? No. no. What did Anakin no. say? It's not, not the supposed Jedi to, way. You're supposed to arrest him. Yeah. And he said he's too dangerous. I, but he's I a can Sith see Lord. that scene in my head. A Jedi's yeah. supposed mm-hmm. to kill a Sith Lord, right? If they if they face the problem. Well, that's the dilemma. That's the dilemma. Because the Sith Lord was also like an elected member. So the problem is they're religious zealots who would throw out the rule of law for their own personal religious drive of what is truly yep. evil. Wow. And that, so and Anakin watched that happen. And he's like, it's not the Jedi way. He should be tried. Yes, they should have arrested him and told the world, he's a Sith Lord. What should we do? And yes, they had to prove to the people and, and resist the powers of the dark side. And it would have been the difficult choice. But instead, Mace Windu was like, I don't care. It's easy. I'll kill but, him now. But and Anakin's he- like, Whoosh, nope. But wasn't he, was Mace Windu under threat of being killed in that moment? 
Remember, because the other, the Palpatine, whatever. I don't, I don't, he was blocking the, the force lightning. I disagree. In fact, he could have said, Anakin, help me subdue him. And Anakin probably would have. And he would have said, I don't know. Anakin said, Anakin I need was it. almost turned by that point. Yes, but he said, I need him alive. And yeah. so Mace could have said. Oh, to, to learn from him. Yeah. And then Mace but could Mace have. But Mace didn't know this. Mace didn't know what was going on. But, did, but why do you, why, don't just I'm try not to trying assassinate to, I'm not the trying Chancellor. to defend. I think, I think it's more of a dilemma than it is like cut and try. I think it's more of a dilemma. No. What, it, what happened then? The Chancellor used the attempted assassination to justify the extreme expansion of powers and to hunt down the Jedi. If I'd been a, yes, a gray like, Jedi... that one incident caused that. That's if a, absurd. If a gray Jedi had walked in and slaughtered the Emperor in that moment and ended the Sith... Chancellor. The Chancellor and ended the Sith, what would have, what would have been the problem with that? You have to. So you're, you're coming at this point, uh, this 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 situation from a state of absolute knowledge. Good and evil, yeah. Imagine you walk into a room, <laughs> and you see two people, and one's on the ground saying, "Help me, please! Help me, please!" And the guy says, "Don't, don't listen to him. He's evil." And then what would you do? You'd read like, the script, baby. No, I I use the force. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I don't you know what I would stop the guy who's about to kill somebody. That'd be a weird, weird. Thing and so, to see. so the issue is, Anakin says it's not the Jedi way. Mace Window said it should have said, "You're right." Mm-hmm. And I agree with that, but I don't think that's a that's a um, you know a folly on all of the Jedi. I just kind of felt like for Anakin to instantly be like, "I hate you," to Obi Wan, I was like, "That <laughs> so, no, that's that was unbelievable." Did Luke use the dark side? As yes, well? which is I think in George Luke Lucas, did? who wrote it, disagrees. But yeah, because he was learning it from. Um, wasn't he learning it from Little Green Man? Yoda. Yoda. Yeah. He was using Get force the push. He, he was, was learning to like, to like, fact check me on this. But he was learning to channel to channel it. He was channeling no, the no, light no. side. Yoda was Yoda's teaching him how to use yeah, the light Yoda's side. Jedi. No, but when he went against his father, he could have killed him, but he didn't. And that's how. And he was he was like almost driven to do that. And so he yeah he, resisted the dark side. He was like in the face or of the dark side. Did he resist the light side? I think he resisted the light side by being able to accept his father. Oh, I see. Yeah. You're saying the light should have ended the darkness. Exactly. Interesting. But Power he did. young, but ladies hold on and gentlemen. He, but but by, <laughs> by doing so, it ultimately converted Vader back to the light. Wow. Right. Exactly. So it Theory of enchantment. It wasn't the... <laughs> he resisted his own impulse to convert him, and because of that, he, he converted. converted. Whoa. Dun, dun, dun. So basically, Daryl Davis was inspired Exactly. I was just going to say, Daryl, <laughs> that's also what Daryl Davis did. That's, that's also amazing. what Daryl Davis did. We should read Super Chats. Yeah, we really should, Ralph. All right. Harry Toe says, I'm so excited. I found a farmer that will let me put my finger in a cow's mouth. Oh, my. He didn't ask any questions. I thought that was strange. Uh-oh. Find a better, different farmer. Talk to your farmer. Blue C says, I loved when Chloe was on Dark Horse with Brett, and they discussed her theory of enchantment. What an awesome mind you have, Chloe. Thank you. <laughs> Jesse Meek says, Sacramento has a teacher that openly promotes Antifa in the classroom and even <laughs> offers extra credit to students for attending protests and such. Shout out to amazing tubers Liberty Doll and the philosophi- so, philosopher? Philosopher. Sorry. All right. Let's see what we got. Revan Sheridan says, Tim, I live in the Deep South in the New Orleans area, hmm. and I, uh, I was being taught CRT in elementary back in the late 90s. I was taught black women are the most oppressed, and it's my fault. Mm-hmm. Are, you, are you from New Orleans? Yeah. It, do you have similar experiences with that stuff? And then, no. no. Interesting. <laughs> Jimmy Kinto says, I agree with her definition. There you go. Ron Quay says, Chloe is classically woke, the way it should be. <laughs> Wokeism, as it's known today, is just neo-wokeism. 
I remember when being woke meant seeing the actual truth, not using race to bait and make money. Mm. Well, there you go. <laughs> I like that. Jenny's says, does Chloe have a curriculum for homeschoolers? So anyone can go to theoryofenchantment.com and enroll in our online course. So it doesn't matter who you are. It's a self-paced course. Anyone can access it. Right on. Very cool. Oh, so, uh, yeah, we, we, we haven't covered this story yet. We've all been posting about it. Andrew uh, Lage says, South Australia is forcing returning citizens to download an app that will send them a notification, and within 15 minutes, they must go to the specified place and take a photo with their face on it. If not, the cops come. Do you hear this? It's crazy. First oh, first However, the, my understanding is how it works is you have the app. You'll get a notification saying you have 15 minutes to post a photo from the location you're at using geolocation. Which means if you claim to be at a house in this particular area, you take a picture of yourself, it's geotagged with the area and your face confirmed, you're good. Geolocation spoofing apps, apps are free. <laughs> yep. And I knew this was where you were going. Can put you anywhere you want. So, <laughs> so it's a terrible plan for the government. It won't work. I, I was thinking about this today while I was in the MRI machine because oh. guess what you can't have in a freaking MRI machine? Literally anything metal, including your phone. Hmm. I was thinking about tonight's show when Tim doesn't really look much at his phone because he's doing a show. And yeah. I was like, how dare a police force think that this is okay? Mm. Absolutely insane. I- All right. <laughs> Odd Ninja says, hey, Tim and crew, first super chat to Ian. If a human male gets a human female pregnant, is she carrying a growing human? Uh. W- you mean like right after, like ten, 10 seconds after the pregnancy? Technically not yet. The question is, is the question is. Um, I don't know when you would consider the the fetus uh, a human. I'm not mm. sure She's what pregnant, the medical is she definition a growing is. Human. Yeah, I mean, if you're asking for medical definitions, I'm not the the guy that would be able to answer that. You'd have to look that up. Is it a growing human? Oh, it depends on what stage it is. When do you start to consider the zygote a human? Is is later it's, in the it's pregnancy? Human father, human mother. What so, is she carrying something that will that is growing into a human? Uh, it might seem like that, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yes, is, is come the, on. Is the sperm human? Is the sperm a growing human? It says because pregnant. it's going to eventually it impregnate. The question is pregnant. Yeah, but the pregnancy eventually. doesn't mean that the kid's going to ever be born. It, the kid could be an, an abrupt, accidental termination. You know, you never and, know. And you could get hit by a car. But so you're still no, a human. no, that zygote might die before it ever becomes a human. You know, so no, gr- she's not you, carrying a human. Technically. Are you growing old? We won't. <laughs> I don't know how to answer that question, Tim. There's solar old, age dude? and there's genetic age. And sometimes are you, are you're you growing younger. genetically old? I'm, g- I'm regenerating. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I'm getting. I'm genetically you just getting don't younger. Wanna, you just don't want to admit it. Yeah. All right, to Tim, ask Knowles about getting in contact with Ted Cruz to come on the show. I thought about that. Oh, that would really? be super fun. Pulling strings with our past guests. Yeah, Jack, I thought Ted I Cruz. might. <laughs> <laughs> I think Ted Cruz should have stood up for himself in the Cancun thing. Mm. I think he like that was dumb. It's you culture should, war stupidity. You should tell him about it. You're like, I need a vacation. Follow me on Twitter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Salty Racer says, I think the shadow work is an excellent idea. Problem is that some people literally need a slap in the face to change their behavior. This has stopped and it's causing serious problems. I disagree. I don't agree with that. Yeah, I don't. I was going to say I don't know about that. Yeah. yeah, I think that actually will just like when you approach someone as an enemy, you they, you solidify their, their, their position. If a person already is acting out of a lack of self-worth and you slap them, so to speak, you're actually going to uh, deepen that sense of low self-esteem. You can't make a change like that unless you're slapping yourself in the face. It Simultaneously. has to be yeah. you. Yeah. It does. 
Josh, oh my gosh, says, Chloe, what do you think about the idea of opt-in taxes for social legislation, for example? I know nothing about that. <laughs> I know. I thought it was like a very... I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but here's what they say. I'll read it. Yeah. Supporters of abortion pay taxes for it. Opposers don't. Tim, check out the singer Joff Castellucci on YouTube. Deep, deep singing voice. Mm. Cool. I don't know. What are your general okay. thoughts? I have none. All right. There you go. Zero thoughts. <laughs> Brandon Freeman says, Tim, please ask her if she's a Marxist and get a yes or no. <laughs> no, I am not a Marxist. <laughs> <laughs> I think you actually said that early on, like you're critical of, you know, uh, critical, critical theory. theory. I'm critical of critical theory. I'm also critical of the Marxist take or, or what seems to be a Marxist take on um, like saying that like what's driving certain people in elite institutions to um, CRT or to wokeness is because it's um, financially successful. I don't think that that's actually what's happened. I, I don't think that's a, a, a sufficient driver. And that's a very Marxist idea, ultimately. Joshua Hickey says white CRT people are white supremacists. <clears throat> they believe mm. they're inherently above the level due to their skin color. Usually they're just undisciplined and spoiled people who haven't earned what they've been given and they know it. One oh, th- that's interesting. One of the things <laughs> that uh, I've said and uh, Carl Benjamin has said is that many of these white woke people are white supremacists with guilty consciences. Mm. Okay. Let me think about that for a second. Uh, but hmm, I don't know. I don't know about that. I mean... What what is the role of guilt in this particular context? So Self, they, the self-flagellation mm-hmm. that we that's spoke what I was about? about. So so one of the, the stories I tell a bit too much. Sorry, audience, for beating the horse. <laughs> but uh, was when I was in the North Dakota pipeline protests. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, I, when I was there, when I was there when I was and I met a guy who told me that um, Asian culture was influenced by. Or, or so here's what he said. I said I had a meeting. He said, "What do you mean you have a meeting?" I was like, "I got to be in L.A. in a couple of days, so I got to leave soon." And he goes. That's colonial thinking. To fly to L.A.? Well, I was driving. I mean. Oh, to drive to L.A.? But, but he was like, to have a scheduled meeting. He was like, the Native Americans don't have that. They they wake oh, up when they wake up. They, they know. Not this again. And what I said was, I said, I was like, what are, what are you talking about? I was like, how's that colonial thinking? What does that mean? And he goes, like, the European colonizers brought that here. It didn't exist before they brought it here because the Native Americans didn't have it. And I said, dude. Chinese people have schedules. They yeah. wake up to farm. And he goes, well, let's be honest. It was the white people who brought that to him. And I was like, are you kidding me? You're going to sit here and tell me, dude, we invented the co- the compass a thousand years before you guys did. Yeah. That's true. And uh, I did think that, it, I'm curious, how did he take that? He, he got flustered. I called him a white supremacist. Yeah. I said, <laughs> I am not going to sit I mean, here and listen to a white supremacist tell me that my culture, which was thousands of years more advanced than a uh, thousand years more advanced than yours, is, is responsible for everything that my ancestors did. You had nothing to do with it. And then everyone kind of looked at him and he was like, whoa. But that's the, the ideas they espouse. They so, believe that the white Europeans made yeah, everything. I do think there's an irony to this. And I do think that one of the one of my objections to... Like, Ta-Nehisi Coates wrote an article in Atlantic a few years mm-hmm. ago um, called The First White President. I think that was the name of it, where he's talking about Donald Trump. Um, and he basically argued that white supremacy was... I forgot the particular line, so I po- apologies if I misquote. This is a paraphrase. But he was basically like, white supremacy is cosmic in nature. And my thing was, if you actually believe that, then you actually believe in white supremacy. You would have to believe that white people are in fact omnipotent in order to believe 
that it is cosmic and everywhere in nature. Yeah. And so I, yeah, that, that story resonates with me. And I think it's one of the blind spots and the ironies going on in a lot of these arguments. Yeah. I see a lot of people mentioning we in the chat because I said we invented. Yes, I'm part Asian. That's the point (laughs) is that I was sitting in front of a guy who was overtly white. And yes, I am still mostly white, German, Irish, British. And uh, I think that's it for the most part. But the point I was making was like, this dude was directly insulting my Asian heritage. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like to reference my ancestors and the work they did for you to come here. Obviously, I understand, you know, uh, uh, like European colonization. This guy was just a white supremacist. (laughs) All right, Scott James Pilkington says, Greetings, Shimcast. I smashed it for Ian. I'm very much looking forward to you looking into the Freedom Phone. My phone is only two years old due to all the bloat. It's almost useless. How to fix bloatware. Mm. Flash the phone and get like a new operating... Graphene OS. Graphene OS, I've heard is good. Yeah. And and, and I'm saying that because, you know, you're Ian. And I like (laughs) Graphene. (laughs) And uh, that's right. Um, Uh, Right now, there is a sad Ian... (laughs) <laughs> and by simply smashing the like button, you can ensure that today a sad Ian will not be sad any longer. <laughs> Get your graphene here and now. <laughs> also, um, the Freedom Phone thing is going to be a while. They're on back order till like oh, November, yeah. I think, now. And so give us a few months on this one. And the problem is we can't expedite it. So it's like. Yeah, we're not going through Eric on this. We're going to go through the company to get. So we're not getting Potemkin phones, basically. Yeah. We don't want <laughs> things that so, has been tweaked to look right. But But maybe there's an easier way to do it is if somebody gets a Freedom Phone. We can work with you uh, or your phone or whatever and something like that. The issue is that if we go to them and say, hey, can we get phones? Well, then we're getting phones from them and you can't trust it. We can't ask them for phones and we can't even ask for an expedited phone. Hey, here are the people we're getting phones delivered to. Can you? No, because then they're going to send them clean, you know, mm-hmm. fixed phones or whatever. Or they're going to send it's, 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 it's compromising the security. So, yeah, well, it just could take some time. But that's yep. a good sign that they're they're on back order, doing mm-hmm. extremely well. Yeah, I'm glad they're doing well. Ah, okay. So uh, Christopher Lambert says, George Carlin and the use on context, doing it again special, 1990. Wow. All right. So you were. So you, I was you, not born. You were not born. <laughs> and I was four. I was not born. All right. C. Hennessy says, Tim, Kevin Pafrath is the real guy you should be looking at for California governor race. Dude's JFK style Dem leading is in state polls. He also know uh, he's also known as Meet Kevin on YouTube. He should be able to get the Dem votes. I did see that. Um, he's not beating Larry Elder in in aggregate. I, there may be a poll showing him uh, ahead, but he is doing really really well, and it does seem like an interesting guy. I you know I I've, I've seen some of the videos and some of the stuff he's talking to. My problem is I don't I don't trust voting for the Democrats after the 2018 midterms. Mm. They promised in 31 districts they would get away from the culture war and focus on real issues for the families. Mm. And as soon as they got in, they went to Nancy Pelosi and says, what shall we do, my liege? And you, she said, impeach Trump. And went, you got it. Do you find there's a lot of cross-contamination between governors and uh, Congress? Like like if a governor is Democratic, is that really that big of a deal? Yes. Relative to their influence? In con- or are they kind of when, autonomous? When California proposed, uh, I don't know if you saw this, what was it, Prop 42 or something? I don't know, Prop 6? They proposed removing the non-discrimination clause from their constitution that barred discrimination on the base of race, national origin, sex from their... Um, Why? Because they argued that it inhibited their ability to engage in anti-racism. Yes, because anti-racist discrimination is good in Ibram Kendi's book. All of the national Democrats were endorsing it. Okay, that's hyperbolic. Many national Democrats and Democrats from other states were endorsing. So you think that that it says Democrat is more of a warning, like, hey, 
check this you vet this guy because he's he's just identifying with this weird party not that if someone puts a democrat on their shirt they're necessarily a bad what, person what happens to people like kimberly clasic and billy prempe they can't get money from the party they can't get support from the party it's hard to fundraise the part so so people in the party regardless of it, whether it's a mayor or a state rep or a governor are still beholden to the dnc the democratic national committee i think is right yeah because they want the access to fundraisers the data the promotion so they're plugging into the so a the governor dump. party members mm. a party member Ugh. and i don't like the republicans either to be honest you know <laughs> i don't like political parties me either <laughs> yeah i agree i agree <laughs> all right let's see what we got here tasteris says ian rights can be thought of simply as the ways you can be wronged they can be derived by observing how life grows and how it can be stunted I don't know about that one. I don't know. We've been having kind of an ongoing debate about what our rights, what our natural rights, also mm-hmm. about abortion, which is why where that came from earlier. Okay. So I'm of the opinion that natural rights exist mm-hmm. and are, some people would say granted to you by God. Mm-hmm. The other way to describe that is just that they're an intrinsic part of being. Mm-hmm. Ian thinks that rights are cultural and don't inherently exist. Can you split the difference between the two? Probably, yeah. I, I feel like... um the Americans were like, we're going to set up a system where we have what we think of as like rules, like rights based on the Christian Bible. Yeah. So they built the Bill of Rights. Mm-hmm. And they told us it was given to us by God, inherent, inalienable. Nothing they ever did had anything to do with it. It was just there to begin with, and they're kind of protecting it. Mm-hmm. I don't think so. Because if we got a new government, they'd start telling us, your right is to wake up in the morning. <laughs> your right is to worship the dear leader. These have always been your rights. Your grandfather fought for these rights. And then eventually you're like, my rights have always been that. So like, it seems like cultural brainwashing. Well, is it possible that one could just be wrong and the other could be right? It is possible that there is like an objective reality and there's a, a way of behavior that serves our propagation and the yeah. species. And these might be those. Th- yeah. We might be onto something with that. Yeah. Okay. But I, I think without the American military to enforce it, they don't exist. It's not real. Sure. Well, it, it, so is your definition of real enforceable? Yeah. If it's not enforceable, it won't be there. Hmm. Okay, that's interesting. I don't know how how to feel about that. I think that rights exist. We have many, many rights, and governments try to infringe upon them for the sake of cohesion, power, Yeah, because isn't, isn't that an argument for power all the way down? Basically. It's terrifying, but I feel like that's <laughs> real. The reality is the person with the big weapon has always run the show. Yeah, but that doesn't... Why does that mean... That, that's true, but that doesn't mean... That one doesn't have inalienable rights just because they're not being enforced, or why does that necessarily mean that? So, I'll, like, if they're not inalienable because if they want to say you don't have them anymore, then you don't. I'll, I'll ask you this question: Yeah, um, would you be upset with a deer for kicking the coyote that was attacking it? No, because the deer has a right to defend itself. Sure. The right exists. We recognize it. We don't fault the animal. Yeah. Would you be upset with someone with like a, a woman? This is who, a weird analogy. By yeah, because the, <laughs> the way you said the, the deer has the right to defend itself is kind of a misuse of the word right in the term of yeah. natural well, rights that we're, we're talking how about. How is it right a misuse now. of the term? Well, it doesn't. The deer doesn't have natural. Just the deer defending itself isn't really. It's it's not exercising a right. It's just defending itself. Would you be it upset? Yeah. Would you upset? If, if I, agree, were, I agree with that. If a person was being beaten in the street mm-hmm. and a guy was just pummeling him, and then he grabbed a wrench off the ground and smacked the guy in the face and killed him, mm-hmm. would you blame the guy who was being beaten? 
No. He has a right to defend himself. Right. Well, God, yeah. I mean, you, he should. If he was, wants to survive, he better defend himself. And so the way the law works but is that we recognize an affirmative defense uh, for murder. Self-defense mm-hmm. is not murder. Mm-hmm. It's not a crime. You're free to go. <laughs> you have a right to defend yourself. So there are many rights that we recognize, and there are many rights the government tries to take away from you. But what, the right to keep and bear arms is fundamentally the right to self-defense. In this country. Not all countries but have that are you right. saying that if a person, if the government didn't support a person defending themselves— then that person no longer has the right to defend Correct. Themselves? Like in North Korea, if a, if a soldier were to kick a guy on the ground and the guy tried to fight back, they'd execute him on the spot. That's right. And because he has no right. So if you're being... I think you guys are defining rights differently. Uh, probably. Yeah, exactly. that's, that's where we came so, to. Yeah. Yeah. So the problem yeah. is that even when I read Ian the definition, he didn't agree with well, it. Well, you read said, it to me and then you stated a different definition no, as the definition of the word. It's on video. <laughs> you were talking, problem, you said ethics in the definition and then you didn't say ethics when you were redefining I, it. I, I read a large paragraph giving you a very intricate explanation of where ethics natural laws applied and why and then you started nitpicking it so i broke it down to like fundamental uh truths that are inherent freedoms that are inherent to living beings because no matter what definition i give you you would change the definition this is a clearly a great question yeah what are (laughs) natural rights are they given by god i mean it's in the constitution it says god gave it to you and you're like uh i'm an atheist (laughs) let me ask you guys a question is the american government full of it because i'm an atheist (laughs) let me ask you guys a question yeah. If a man uh, was walking down the street, minding his, minding his own business, and a cop pulls up for no reason, mm-hmm. runs up to him and starts mercilessly beating him with the with the with his with billy club, mm-hmm. and the man is on the ground and then is being beaten, begging, "Please stop!" And then he leans over and grabs a wrench, gets up and cracks the cop, killing him instantly. Mm-hmm. Would you blame the guy on the ground? No. Would you? I mean, I can't. I can't. These are ridiculous <laughs> state situations you're creating, dude. Oh, there's no context. I don't know what that. I can't I blame either of those guys for that. I don't know I'm, what's going on. I gave you the context, but you just gave me a limited from the moment I saw it start to happen to when right. it ended. I don't know what, again. what caused it. Let's try it. again. Let's try again. If a man was selling Lucy cigarettes outside of a bodega, mm-hmm. and the cops came up and put him in a chokehold, and he was screaming, "I can't breathe," mm-hmm. and then he grabs a wrench and swings it, hits the cop, killing him instantly, would you blame the guy being choked? No. Blame him for what? For killing the cop. Jeez, that's a tough one. Because if the cop, if, if if you attack a tiger and the tiger bites your face, would you, I blame the guy that attacked the tiger? Would you blame a man well, blame putting a chokehold? I blame them both. <laughs> you got to blame them both. If if you stick your hand in a tiger's mouth and it bites your finger, can, it's your can, fault can, and it's the tiger's fault. I can fault. understand both argument, but I would still mostly blame the cop. So that was the Eric Garner case. Yeah. And you still... But okay, fine. He defend. I mean, self-defense isn't... It's not okay. Self-defense, I'm not saying that the reason it's okay to defend your life is because you have a right. You have to defend your life to survive. Now we built a legal now you understand infarction for that. Is that the infarction? Is that the no, right word no, for that? Infarction is a, a is a, yeah, it's a yeah, it's, it's blood <laughs> loss to a muscle. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I want to I want to make that a political word. In the I like that. Yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> the formation or development of an infarct. Yeah. An infarct. Which is, uh, we'll yeah, get to that later. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I don't want to waste these super chatters times because people are giving us money right <laughs> now. The reason why I asked the question about the cop is because. You recognized you wouldn't blame someone for, for defending themselves if a cop was mercilessly beating them. Right. And they took it to the person's life and their intent was to defend themselves. But the state would probably still arrest you and charge you. Right. Because they would infringe Qualified upon Qualified immunity. You. Well, I think Among that's, other things. But that's mostly about lawsuits, though. I think the True. issue here is that culturally, the police department would say, too bad, mf you killed the cop. We don't care why. And as much as we, as, as human beings, 
if we recognize a situation in, in which a legitimately innocent person in full context was innocent being attacked by a criminal police officer, we would, every person, a conservative would be like, well, of course, that cop's a bad guy. The state probably would disregard and probably still arrest them. But they would be biased against them. They wouldn't care. But the guy has the right to self-defense. This is that's what right. your point you're going towards. Now that's good. Now that's why we built our government is to protect that idea. But it wasn't, my argument is that it wasn't given to us by God. It was these dudes, Ben Franklin, Thomas Jefferson. So you like, just have no. a problem with the God piece. You don't. Yeah. Thinking that it's inalienable and it can't be ever taken away freaks me out. But that's not what it means. That's not what it means. Inalienable doesn't mean it can't be infringed upon. It, it seems to people seem to think that if you're out in the middle of the wilderness, you still have those rights. I don't think so. Well, you do. No. What do you mean? If you're naked in the woods, you don't have like the right to self-defense and the right to free speech. What are you like, talking dude, about? if a yes, dog, you do. You, you can pick up a rock. They don't exist. The you still can do those things, but you don't have a right. There's no. I still don't understand what your definition of right is. <laughs> A right know. is like, it's like, well, what is the definition of rights? Things I that are it to you abilities that understand. are given to you by God. This is what natural, no, it is about natural it's rights. It's to the dignity of, of, of what it means to be human. Freedoms that are inherent to life, fundamental, uh, uh, like the, 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 it's like a part of the sacredness of what it means to be human. In this in society, order for life, in, in, in order Afghanistan, for life to function, not. there are, the, the, it is, in order for life to function, certain things have to happen. And as, as human beings and as all life strives to survive, we recognize that life, life does certain things. In fact, yeah. in the definition of life, when they describe it, it propagates and it, it, I believe defense or, or the, the, the attempt to survive is one of them. No, I could be wrong about that one. The the challenge I have with your understanding is it seems that it would be easily devolving into relativism. Mm. It is. And that's why people are going crazy right now and, and railing against the U.S. government because the government's like blindly being like, like, okay, I get it. We think that this is the best way here and now because we're in it. We're in it. We haven't seen a better system yet. So to us, this is the right. This is the right way. But it doesn't mean it's the only way or ever will be or ever was. I think you're confusing, like, rights and privileges. I've seen people be like, you can't do that to me. I have the right. And I'm like, dude, you have to stand in in front of that right. Like, you have to make sure. Healthcare is not a human right. Right. That that, that statement makes Mm -hmm. literally no sense. But, like, you banned me off YouTube. I have the right to that. No, you should have built a website to protect yourself because you don't have the right. You think so, you think the government is protecting your rights because they say they are. But no, but here's what you misunderstand. You got to protect your own rights if, and create them. So uh, the right to free speech exists. The right to expression exists. There are some limits on causing harm to others because now you're infringing on their right to life and their and they have the right to defense. But when a massive multinational corporation takes up all the land, we actually have battled this out in the courts. We've decided that publicly owned private spaces. You are required to allow free speech. So Occupy Wall Street, for instance, was only possible because the people went on private property and the private company said, you have no right to free speech. You're on my property. And the government, the people and the precedent in the courts was actually, if you're occupying the common space as a private owner, you can't take away someone's right to free speech. So YouTube bans people, banks debank people. And they should U.S. government hasn't done a thing about it. Welcome to because the it argument can't. against censorship. Because it can't. The government cannot. That's not, not only is true, it not Ian. infringing on those rights, corporations are, and the government can't do anything about it. They can. What can they do? So first, there's Section 230 reform or Section 230 enforcement, which they're not doing. Why? Well, right now, Democrats have the majority and Republicans have no will. Republicans were too stupid to do anything about it from 2016 and on. And now they're all being banned and blacklisted. And they don't care because most of them were neocons, uniparty anyway. 
Now you have the issue of just enforce Section 230. Never was this law intended to allow Twitter to arbitrarily create editorial guidelines on what opinions you're allowed to have. YouTube doesn't come to me and say we're concerned about the safety of individuals, so you can't talk about Donald Trump's election. That makes no sense. They have editorial guidelines. Now, are there other places you can go? Technically, yes. But if there is a massive major stadium or all of the space in, in, in the center of the town is being occupied or, or owned by one person, we have already determined that privately owned public spaces must protect the free speech rights of an individual. All we need now is for the willpower in any politician to enforce it. That's the government has the power. And Facebook is terrified of this. That's why Facebook has been having meetings with politicians trying to be like, please don't regulate but us because pe- we know you can do people it. People begging for daddy to fix it is freaking me out. The people like a politician could fix it for me. The government could do it for like, dude, these are your rights. This is not Alexandria Cortez's version of your rights. This is yours. And, and, and so, no, no corporation or government state is going to make that is going to keep that for you. That's up to you and, you, and your friends. And I mean, there's a lot community. of reading you'd have to do for us to like make a substantive conversation here. I'm sure we should have experts on, but I mean, we like, I think the people who have watched this have researched too much. And for you to enter this conversation with this lack of understanding would be like, you know, someone who's never read a math book trying to explain or ask about math to someone who's in advanced like algebra or calculus or something. I think if people constantly complain about their rights being taken away, it's going to devolve into their rights being gone as opposed Mm -hmm. to actually projecting their rights. Then you realize, oh, your rights are there because you projected them, not because it was written on some paper and given to you from somewhere else. You created that in your in your behavior. Let's read some more Super Chats. Yes. Common right. Cure says, <laughs> Chloe is the anti-Kendi. Also, Ian, do you play Deep Rock Galactic? I do. Hit me up on Steam. <laughs> I'm Mr. Clearbro. Rock and Stone. Rock and Stone. Cool. Frank Taylor says, Tim, listen to Chloe. She is smarter than you. I think I've noticed that. <laughs> Agreed with many of her points and yes. said, actually, you're right. Great points. That's why I re- reference Jordan Peterson as I'm a big fan because for him to be also willing to yeah. just be like, I'm, I was wrong about that. I'm like, man, that is... That's strength. That's awesome. Yeah. 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 Someone mentions we had a bunch of Chinese bots in chat. So How oh. dare they get out. What's up, dudes? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's see what we got. Caitlin Clark says, first time donation. Your guest is spreading the right messages. Thank you for bi- providing a platform for spiritually aware and intelligent voices. Oh, oh absolutely. I like that. This has been a great conversation. Awesome. All right. Andrew Fetter says, hey, Tim and crew, hope someone has lifted the man stone since my visit. Ah, yes. He, he gave us the Atlas stone. Oh, big one. The rite of passage. If you lift it, you're a man. Ah, yes. <laughs> I have not lifted it. Regarding <laughs> the office censorship, <laughs> critical theorists need to attack any exploits of their weaknesses. It's how to influence culture. Mm. Wait, say that again. Critical theorists need to attack any exploits of their weaknesses. Oh. Anything that might mock or belittle them. Yeah. So when you watch The Office and you laugh at the ridiculousness or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Right. I think he's right. Bruce A2 says, Ian, get at her now. I don't know what that means, but <laughs> also I, I think either. she's right. The Bible is highly symbolic and has many allusions That's to science funny. of all types from a time when they supposedly didn't have science. That's true. I agree it's with interesting that. Interesting things. That is very interesting. I was, I was reading a, uh, a long time ago, a scientific analysis of some of the rules in the Bible and to why they, why, why they were. Yeah. Like, why you weren't supposed to eat pork or whatever. Mm-hmm. Because they were dirty, diseased animals. Yeah, and it was like, yeah. yeah, and it would get yeah. you sick. And so they were like, don't eat it. Yeah. You know? All right. Let's see what we got here. We'll do, uh, we'll try and get as many as we can, but we, we've gone way over. But it's, <laughs> you know, this is awesome. Yeah, this is good. 
Cody Black says, first time super chat. I listen every day and love the show. Trying to get my SO Sarah to watch as well. Please help me sell the show to her. If you get her to watch, it would leave me speechless. Ah. <laughs> Clever. I would, I would tell her she should watch it because I'm here and I can always use the female company like tonight <laughs> when Chloe's here. So have her join me. That's right. <laughs> Martin the Panda says, the fundamental problem is an increasing lack of faith in something outside the human experience. When there's nothing greater than yourself to answer life's big questions, it's much easier to see yourself as divine and those against you as evil. Mm. Interesting. Well, I would ha- I would agree halfway with that. I think that I do believe that human beings are divine, but that doesn't, I don't mean that in the, I think that human beings are, you know, I'm spiritual, so I think that human beings are made in the image of the divine. Um, and this idea that comes from Genesis is like being made in the image of God is like something that I'm subscribe to i don't think that's the problem but i do think that uh, that doesn't mean um actually john verveke has this has has this interesting riff that has influenced my thoughts on the idea of the sacred what do you mean when you call something sacred do you mean sacred as inexhaustible as in the human being is inexhaustible you'll never be able to fully grasp Mm. the deep essence of the human being or do you mean sacredness as perfection and perfection if something is perfect then it's static and non-dynamic and therefore dead that's not it yeah that's and like an idol you know so it's perfection or inexhaustible yeah tim you actually mentioned that the universe was perfect the other night and i think it was more that it's inexhaustible <laughs> i think it's inexhaustible that's interesting because i've been thinking a lot about that that, that phrase what do you mean we were talking about the perfection of the universe and how it just functions so perfectly but how you're defining as as perfection is that it's static it yeah. d- and, and the, the changing imperfections in the universe seem to give it this inexhaustible quality. This mm. w- and what's but the, the heat, word for the that? Heat the death of the universe is, as far as we know, yeah, an, an, an inevitability. Yeah, if untouched. <laughs> but of yeah. course, we we are the wardens. <laughs> well, so of this, this is space. this is this is one thing I've I've talked. I think the expansion of space right now it's beyond our understanding how to revert reverse this. But it's entirely possible, at least. Well, I, I could be wrong about this, but I believe it's possible. Life in the universe comes to a point where, sure, there's heat death of the universe, but maybe we create extremely advanced machines, extremely advanced AI superintelligent that just floats for billions of years until it interacts with that one electron and absorbs it and Mm. then just keeps going without, you know, losing any. And then it may take trillions of years, but it's eventually collecting all the matter and still functioning as some form of complex system. Or maybe by that point, we learn how to collapse and control space time. And the universe just, we just reef shit, you know, mm-hmm. that thing, whatever's created. I hope I'm gone by that time. Yeah, I oh, You'll definitely be gone by that time. I do not want to experience that. Yeah, not interested. All right, Martin the Panda has, a, has, a, has an additional. He says, I was an atheist for 37 years and realized that's not what I wanted to leave my girls. I began attending church for philosophical reasons, mm. and now I have faith in a better understanding of purpose and place. There's something more than just us. Mm. Very Jordan Peterson moment. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Jeremy McDude says, I have a theory regarding independent voters thinking the economy is good. They live in non-blue hellholes and don't act, and don't actually see many effects of the awful economy of 2021. Hmm. Even then, you should at least see how much you pay in gas. Yeah, seriously. Mm-hmm. All right. Agent Juice Cartoon says, glad to see Chloe on the show. Many LA animation groups are too identitarian. I want to start an animation group with merit, professionalism, and equality instead. Would love to see if Toe could help make that a group uh, uh, T-O-E T-O-E Theory that, of Enchantment yes yeah. group a reality hmm interesting I don't know much about 
animation <coughs> or that space. Wonder what's. I would be interested in knowing more about what's it's going like on art there. Form, yeah, yeah. Do you have a general help email line that you would have people contact, or is that? Well, people can fill out like a form on our mm-hmm. website if they're interested in like learning more and getting more That's information. How I got in touch with you. Nice. Yes. Yeah, yes. Works for me. <laughs> Waffles it. Sensei says, "Chloe, glad you came to talk about this stuff with a bunch of political commentators. I think your organization will be the most influential because you keep your politics very milk toast." It makes true. people have to address the ideas on the merit. Yeah. Mm. That's good. Yeah. That's a strength. There's probably a bunch of uh, St- uh, Dr. Strange ones. Oh, so <laughs> many. I see them. Yes. <laughs> Are they? Well, actually. Yeah, pretty much. St. <laughs> Matthew says, Tim, your Marvel idea wouldn't work. There was no multiverse yet as per Loki. Actually. That's oh. actually wrong, though. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, have you seen Loki? No, no? I seen it. so um, instantly, the moment that they, uh, I guess, um, well, I, I, I forgot the woman's name already. So, what was her name? Sophie or something? I don't know. She killed um, the one that remains or whatever. Instantly, the timelines fracture. So it's like even if there is only one sacred timeline, in fact, the Loki timeline where there's only one timeline, the sacred timeline actually exists in a superposition of infinity with all the other timelines just somewhat isolated from them because there as he mentions the moment you kill me there will instantly be all these other you know conquerors who will be around you so <clears throat> it did exist the, that that's why hmm. i think there's an issue with the loki show trying to do the sacred timeline because We've already referenced the multiverse and other timelines, and they have no explanation for how this interferes with those ideas other than to say it was inevitable that the one that remains would be killed, shattering the sacred timeline, creating infinite timelines, and changing the past, and thus all those alternate universes could have existed anyway. And the show What If actually explores these other universes, which exist anyway. Anyway. I have no I did not follow that. Yeah, that was like another language, but I'm learning. <laughs> yeah. So. Speaking of Marvel. Yeah. <laughs> in the Loki show, there's only one timeline. Okay. Because there's a, an organization called the, like, uh, what is it called? The TVA or whatever. Time, timeline Variance Authority. Mm-hmm. They destroy any, any, uh, uh, multiverse branch. Okay. So anything that deviates from their scripted timeline, they go there, they destroy, and they send it to like a, a, a death dimension. However, mm-hmm. at the end, a female Loki variant kills the guy enforcing it. Then the entire sacred timeline shatters into a infinite universes, okay. which means that the whole thing is in a state of flux of back and forth. Okay. Because then there's a war between the one that remains. One maintains a sacred universe, which instantly collapses because it's time. There's yeah. no there's no past or future. So it's still multiverse. Yep. Sorry. They uh, all exist before the prime universe and after the prime universe and during the prime universe because yep. time is a torus <laughs> of motion. Mm. All right, we'll just read one more because we've gone a bit way over. A bit way, uh, a bit way over. <laughs> okay, Mickey Mouse says, Ian, rights aren't the ability to defend to, uh, to defend oneself. They are what gives you the moral high ground when you have to defend yourself. Yes, rights are what give you the the, the legal, essentially legal authority. In moral. This, moral. Not legal. Moral. Laws are not morality. Mm. Wait, what? Yeah, I agree with that. Just because something's legal doesn't mean it's moral. Mm-mm. Jim no, right, right. Oh, but you think rights give you are, are basically your justification authority. for doing the morally just yeah. thing? Yeah, yeah, probably. I agree with him. Right on. Well, thank you, friends, for hanging out this Friday night. You effectively got a bonus segment, I guess. You know, we normally don't do <laughs> it, but um, you can follow the show at Timcast IRL. You can check out YouTube.com/slash/cast/cast/castle 
for all the vlogs we're putting up and you can watch what, what we're doing on a day-to-day basis. And the funny thing is you can watch me somehow in between all the work I'm doing, tending to the chickens because it's just nonstop work all day, every day. You can follow me personally at TimCast. Become a member at TimCast.com. Support our journalism. Do you want to shout out your social media or anything else? Sure. Check out TheoryOfEnchantment.com. You can follow me on Twitter at CValdery. Also, uh, Enchant Theory. You can also follow me uh, on Instagram at CValdery and Theory of Enchantment. Any other wisdom? Um, I would say make it thy business to know thyself, which mm. is the hardest thing to do in the world. Thank you. That's why I like to make internet videos and watch myself be an idiot on TV. <laughs> Can't deny it anymore after that. Uh, also, you can follow me at Ian Crossland if you, if you want to. But do it. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciated Chloe's wisdom tonight. It is very rare to find a very wise and philosophical lady. Very short supply. So we need really to we need to bring that back. Yes, we do. We need to make it cool again. Yeah. I'm excited to see it coming back. You guys should follow me on Twitter at Sarah Patch Lids as I attempt to have more followers than Sarah Patch Kids. I'm 5,000 away, so please join me. We have a new members-only show coming up very soon. We're not necessarily going to have a set schedule, but it's going to be called The Green Room. And the idea is when guests arrive, there's actually about 10 to 15 minutes where there's fun and weird conversations. When Steve Bannon came and he met Andreas, who's a, you know, Ian's friend. Andreas Nicholas. Running. Exertus, you've seen his shirt on me <laughs> before. Andreas was saying so many crazy things to Steve Bannon, but Steve Bannon was into it. And, you know, Andres is talking about transhumanism and like cyber Marxism or whatever. And like after after the show, Bannon's like, who is that that guy? He's, he's a genius. Yeah. And I thought it was hilarious. But there's there like, you know, it's a very, very weird. I don't know. But anyway, the idea is there's a lot of people downstairs that are hanging out in the green. Our green room is downstairs. So when people come in, a lot of the guests will meet people. And so we're actually going to have like a 10 to 15 minute members only video where you can see the um, non- you know, cycle, uh, like news cycle kind of conversations. You might hear conversations just uh, about chickens. You know, people could talk about their pets and it's just like off the cuff. And it's something we can do to make more content for the members. And then we'll actually flesh that out and make, make something more with it. So that's coming very, very soon, maybe even in the next day or so. We just got to get the website ready for it. So thanks for hanging out, everybody. It's been a blast. YouTube.com slash Cast Castle. And we'll see you all next time. Bye, guys. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.